After 30 years in the high-tech industry, our guest tonight suddenly found himself without a job. So he did what a lot of people have done very successfully. He turned a hobby into a business. We'll talk to Guy McConnell tonight from Laughing Leprechaun Meteries. Plus, does Rube Goldberg have a room at your place? Well, he doesn't mind. We'll talk about some equipment ideas that won't break the bank and you can build it at home. Plus, on a rare occasion, Ask Oscar joins us live tonight to talk about making your mead yours and refining your style. All tonight on Got Mead Live. So grab your mead and your phone. Join Vicki, AJ, and I for a night of Got Mead Live. A night of Got Mead Live. And um, I have to throw a shout out to myself. (laughs) (laughs) I think we have to do that, don't we? Get a little self-centered there, JD. (laughs) I I went on a honey hunting trip over the weekend. And no, it's not the honey on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, this is a honey found in hives. No, not dives. Hives. My wife carries a gun, so no, it wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I went on this Craigslist thing. Somebody said, you know, check Craigslist. You can find a whole lot of stuff. So I, I've never even, I've heard people talk about Craigslist, but I've never <laughs> seen it or been there. So. I went and I searched honey in my local, I guess you can look for things in your local area. And I just simply typed in honey and up popped a bunch of different places uh, in the Southern California area. One of them uh, over in El Monte. And uh, I would like to throw a shout out. Actually, this actually goes out to Hector and his wife. uh, And I know they're not listening, um, but uh, that being said, I just might have to record it and take it to his house and play it for him. But he's been uh, a beekeeper for 20 plus years, keeps a uh, good sized number of hives. He's got, uh, I don't know, 15 or 20 hives, he said, uh, scattered all over the Southern California area. Well, I went down there and I picked up 60 pounds of five gallon buckets of the best tasting wildflower i mean this stuff is amazing and it's the spring uh i don't know what do you call it the spring uh uh honey (laughs) yeah the bees the bees wake up (laughs) yeah i mean this isn't you know this isn't like the summer thistle and 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 the weeds and garbage that grows during the summertime this is like you know, the, the, the pollen is collected from the spring flowers. And this stuff is the most amazing honey I have ever tasted. Oh, yeah. First first round stuff can be really, really good. It depends on where you are. I mean, you're in a place where stuff grows all the time. So, yeah, yeah, that doesn't hurt. No. And, um, I, you know, I just I can't keep the spoon out of it. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I might as well just, you know, put a bowl of it on, on my desk and just, you know eat it like that it's so good um i also cleaned out my local trader joe's last weekend of their mesquite honey <laughs> uh, yeah i saw that 55 pounds of, that I, I would love to have been standing at the checkout when you walked up with your cart you know i mean good lord 
God. Can you imagine the checkout person, you know, walking to Trader Joe's? Do you have the, what the hell are you doing with all that honey in your car? Are you okay, sir? Yeah. I walked up. Uh, I don't Should know I call the police? You know? <laughs> Trader Joe's, uh, you know, there was about, I don't know, like eight or nine of them on the shelf. So I got all those, put them in my car. Then I, then I walked over to the, uh, uh, they, and they all have a little customer service uh, desk, you know, right there. So I walked over there and, and, you know, the, I mean, the guy can see I've got like these, you know, eight or nine of these containers. Of honey. These are big three pound containers. And uh, I asked him, I said, do you have any more of this? And I held up one of the containers. He says, uh, he looked in my basket and he says, you need more? And I said, well, yeah. And how, how many more do you need? And I said, well, a whole box if you got them. <laughs> How many more do you got? <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. So he, did, did, and did they ask you if you had your own bags? Yeah, he he went back and brought out another box. And I said, oh, "I'll take the whole darn thing." So <laughs> yeah, so I walked out of Trader Joe's with uh, about fifty. I think actually, I think it was like fifty-seven pounds uh, all together. So, uh, so you know what the break room at TJ's <laughs> looked like after you left? You're like, did you see the old guy with all the honey? Holy crap! <laughs> yeah. What the heck do you suppose he's doing? Having an orgy at his house or something? Nah, he's old, man. He wouldn't be doing nothing like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I had a I had a good weekend uh, with about 110 or so pounds, 20 pounds or so of of, uh, of honey here at the house. So I, I'm I'm you know, like in in heaven right now. So. Well, if you guys do finally run out of water, you can always just eat, <laughs> yeah. eat the honey. High water content honey, so you should be and all this, right. Um, this honey that I got uh, in El Monte, this fresh stuff, I mean, it is right out of the hive. It has not been touched at all. No heat, no nothing. And I mean... Huh. So you got bee bits and one in the what oh yes yeah oh yes oh yes I mean there are intestines kidneys livers oh yeah. yeah see now that's the honey that back in the day when folks were still boiling you know um, they would boil the honey and all that stuff would kind of rise to the top and then you could skim it off with a uh, with like a mesh you know like a mesh yeah. spoon or something to get all the you know bee butts out and whatnot but. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> this is uh, God, this we've been is, drinking already, haven't we? Is, yeah, yeah I haven't had anything to drink for a couple of weeks, and I'm actually drinking meat tonight. This could be interesting. This is by far the best honey I have ever put in my mouth. And, oh, uh, Kurt, yeah, it's sorry, uh, it's really good, but anyway. So, well, ladies, what are we drinking tonight? Well, um, I went uh, roofling through the stash, and uh, I have this uh, 375 bottle of Nursery Crimes. It's from uh, House Fair <laughs> Nursery Crimes. Yeah, nice. it's from. Yeah, I know. I love the name. It was great, and they got it. They won a gold medal at the Mazer Cup last year with this. So when they announced the name, you know, I mean, half the room was just kind of snickering under their hands because it's like a, you know, it's like ah, ha, ha, that's a dirty name, <laughs> you know. So, so, so it was just kind of funny. But um, 
House Bear is uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, they're in Amesbury, Massachusetts. And uh, I think this was their first year at the Mazer Cup. I'm not sure. But anyway, this is, they like unusual stuff. So they're one of these meteries that goes for kind of funky flavors, like, you know, like B Nectar does. And this one is a uh, mead with strawberry, basil, and citrus. And it's got this whole, it's a, I think it's more of a summery mead. I probably should have saved it till it warmer weather, but it was there. But it's it's really pretty clear as a bell, and it's you get a spicy mead, uh, spicy honey note from it from the basil. So you get the honey, and then the basil's kind of like in there. And this, when you drink it, you get citrus and honey at the same time. So it's kind of like a um, almost kind of like a Chardonnay thing going on, and um, with the basil on the back end, it's it's kind of neat. I like it. It's different. Uh, the strawberry is pretty, you know, pretty light, but it's a good mead. Yeah, we won a gold medal. It can't be, and, you know, it's, it's a good mean. <laughs> and who doesn't like basil? Well, yeah, I mean, but who thinks I about putting it? it? Yeah, but people just don't think about putting it in meats. I mean, the, the, the range that we have is so much beyond what they can do in with wine. You know, I mean, they can do grape wine or they can do country fruit wines. They can't they can't get strange, you know, with yeah. with, with, with uh, interesting things. But there's like you put what in there? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's still, I mean, there's still a lot of people out there who haven't figured out that, you know, sweet and savory thing goes pretty well together in the kitchen, too. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, you're right. I mean, who, who would have thought uh, dropping a couple of basil leaves in a mead, uh, you know, might kick off something very delicious. So, yeah, it's got an interesting, it's got an interesting vegetal thing going on with it, and, but not in a bad way. It's, uh, it's just, it's different. I think it's something that if you, haven't tried a lot of different meads, you might find so, it was something you have to get used to. But yeah, I'm used to used to drinking. Well, weirdamels is what we would classify this as because <laughs> it doesn't really fall into any of the normal classifications. That's know, what JD makes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do I. Oh yeah. Oh, I like weirdamels. Are weirdamels are the funnest ones? I mean, that's they, you can do you can do all kind of strange things there. So. Hey Jay, what are you drinking tonight? I have got a bottle of uh, Kurgoth from Gottmead. Uh, his very first batch. It's an orange blossom um, from uh, Ken Schramm's uh, Complete Mead Maker, the medium sweet orange blossom recipe. And uh, I think it finished at around 1.040, so it's a little bit sweet. And he bottled it a little early, and it was crown capped. So when I popped the cap, it hissed a bit. But it's only very faintly uh, effervescent, and the smell is amazing, and it tastes even better than it smells so kurgoth good friggin job man cool nice way to go kurgoth cool stuff i'm drinking uh i finally cracked open this bottle of sap house meadery's vanilla bean and it's not what i expected um I, actually it's not what i expected at all what were you expecting something that was like re almost like a like a like ice cream, cream mead? soda, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. kind of, yeah, kind of, you know, real sweet, real vanilla. Oh no, vanilla. most of the vanillas are very, are very, uh, they're they're robust. They're more like the dry vanilla sodas that I forget who it is that makes them. You know, yeah, but, but this, yeah. It's rare you know, to find a super sweet, super vanilla one. They they honestly don't. They aren't out there that often. Well, it, it, I mean, it just tastes good. I, I really like this. It's a little on the dry side. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's got, um, uh, you know, we were talking before the show, but it's got this, uh, I don't know, you, 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 
uh, you think you seem to think it might be like a woodsy oaky oak i'm type, i'm trying uh, to i've had their vanilla bean it's i'm a big fan of vanilla meads and theirs is one of the ones that i really like i i want to say that i remember and i could be wrong about this that they, i think they oak theirs they've got some oak barrels that they use for various things yeah. and it's it's possible because vanilla uh, a vanilla mead especially if you're on the dry side of semi-sweet that's oak is really cool it's got all kind of character and then you also get an extra sort of vanilla caramely thing coming in from the barrel so it meshes really well it's it's got to be that because it it has it it, it's got that oaky woodsy uh taste to it i i can't smell it because it just i mean just all i can smell is the vanilla vanilla is always a Uh, vanilla is yeah it comes in it comes in uh Okay, their vanilla bean, it says, well, for one thing, it's 18% ABV, so uh, high-octane mead there. So, yeah, we're uh, not drinking the whole bottle tonight. That would, be a ba- <laughs> that would probably be bad, yeah. But they're using um, organic Indian vanilla beans and local wildflower honey, and it is not oaked, so far as I can see. Uh, it's got it's got to have some kind of, I mean, it's very good. I mean, it's got, it's got that barrel taste doesn't it's kind of an aftertaste yeah there's um, sugar there's sugar maple is pretty good if you can get your hands on a bottle of it yeah it's very good i like it uh, plus i've got the uh i still have a, a lot left of the honey run cherry honey wine so i brought that bottle out with me too so just <laughs> <laughs> in case you need it right <laughs> yeah but anyway hey welcome to god mead live uh and we, you know, we, we probably should have been talking about this uh, in the last couple of shows, but, and please don't spank us, but tonight is actually the last show for uh, a month. For, for a month. Yeah, we're going to be going on hiatus uh, for the holidays. We'll be back on January 5th. Um, and uh, I have been working on the calendar, but uh, I kind of put that on the back burner. Got to get Vicky uh, and her health uh, back up to speed here a little bit. Um, I don't want her doing a whole lot uh, until she gets uh, on both of her feet. So, but we yeah, he's the one that keeps telling me I need to stay in bed. It's like right, that's not gonna yeah, happen. Well, yeah, that'll happen. And, uh, yeah. But uh, I am working on a calendar, and uh, hopefully, I can get that completed over the next couple of days. Uh, well, we're gonna play. We're gonna play all of your Got Mead uh, uh, shows uh, throughout the holidays. So uh, if you missed one live, uh, hey, tune in to uh, the station. Uh, they'll be playing um, probably not in any particular order, but uh, we'll do what we can to try to line them all up. But uh, yeah. and then of course, um, uh, I always keep pushing the patron member thing. Uh, you know, the price is probably going to go up. It just got until now, you know, until probably, you know, the end of the year, get your 25 bucks. Uh, I mean, it's only 25 bucks and, uh, it helps yeah. support the gotme.com website, uh, uh, and more, doesn't it? Yes, yes, it does. I, I was just having this conversation earlier with somebody who suggested to me that uh, the website needs to have a better mobile presence, that it's not as pretty as it could be on a, mob- on a, on a phone. And I know this, but one of the things that I really want to do is have a custom theme for the website that fits what Got Me needs and what the you know what the Got Me people need, and that 
you know, that provides us with a good mobile presence because we're getting a large chunk of our folks that are coming in off mobile. So I want them to have a good experience. But you're looking at, you know, twelve, fifteen hundred dollars right there. It's a chunk of change to have something good like that done. So, yeah, anybody, you know, everything that you're buying is going into the war, war chest so I can do more stuff. You bet. And uh, gotme.com. Uh, that's the uh, Facebook uh, deal. You just go to facebook.com, put gotmead. Gotmead.com actually is the website. Gotmead. And I say I get to all this stuff mixed up. But uh, but anyway, if you go to gotmead.com, you can get everywhere, anywhere you want on gotmead from there. So <laughs> uh, Twitter. Uh, Vicky manages the uh, Twitter. So, hey, if you can't call us, tweeter, tweeter, how do you say that anyway? Tweet? Tweet. You tweet, tweet. yeah. Obviously, you, I don't. You use it, Twitter and you tweet on Twitter, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. JD doesn't do Twitter. So, uh, <laughs> at, at Got Me Now, uh, if you can't call us, uh, Vicky always mans the tweeter thingy. Uh, ask Oscar, you can check the links on gotmead.com. You know where to go. Just please fill out all the information, make it as complete as possible. Oscar's got a couple of uh, funny ones, uh, that he might talk about tonight. Um, that, uh, that I was privy to over the last uh, day or so, but, uh, the call in number 818-921-4680. And the show links, uh, well, just simply go to gotme.com to the website there. Click on the radio button up there, and it'll take you to the radio station page. You can download all the apps. Take us with you if you'd like. Uh, if you're mobile, uh, that would be the tunein.com app. If you're uh, mobile, want to listen to the replays, number of choices there, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, and uh, SoundCloud for sure. But uh, each one of the shows are highlighted on the uh, gotme.com radio station page there. You can listen to them at your leisure, uh, the replays that that is. So that being said, ladies, step away, take a commercial break. When we come back, Guy McConnell, sit tight. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. If you're a mead maker, a book you need to have on the shelf is Mad About Mead by Pamela Spence. Look for it, grab it, if you can. It's been out of print for a while. But if you can find it, add it to your library. And while you're at it, check out pamspence.com. Pam is an active storyteller, author, community minister, and is the editor for local newspapers in Columbus, Ohio. You can find her most recent book, Glad Rags, Red Panties, Cowgirl Boots, and A Sweet Dress to Die For at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Please visit pamspence.com for more. Hey, this is J.D. Webb from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead. And I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. 
do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery Meads now. Visit them at their online store at moonlightmeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery Meads. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road, near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. Wow, and we are back. Got Mead live here on a Tuesday night. After taking the long way around from Alabama to Loveland, Colorado, via Florida and North Carolina, Vicki. Yeah, yeah. Our guest, uh, he was in Huntersville a couple hours south of me, down by Charlotte. Uh, our guest has turned his hobby into a job. Please welcome tonight Guy McConnell of Laughing Leprechaun Meadery. Welcome, Hello, Guy. Hey, happy to be here. Awesome. What, so, uh,. Well, go ahead, Vicky. I was going to say, how in the hell did you end up in Loveland? <laughs> I, uh, I moved out to uh, work for a company in Boulder called Exabyte. And, ah, okay. Uh, looking, I knew Boulder County, Adams County, those areas were fairly expensive out here. So I started looking in Bertha, got as far up as Loveland, decided that was probably as far as I wanted to drive every day. So we uh, settled in South Loveland. Bertha, that's a town I haven't heard of in a long time either. <laughs> it's growing as well you know uh, well I told you about the ranch the little place we had up uh, uh, you know in Fort Collins we're actually just you know about four or five miles out of Fort Collins up there right and I remember uh, and we lived right off of Taft Hill Road so you could take Taft Hill all the way down into Loveland and once you got out of Fort Collins uh, I mean it was just basically all cornfields and, and agriculture and small ranches the wildfires when i was there we were up in uh we were up in uh, fort collins to go to a tapas place and the, there were fires burning that year yeah literally going down the road and you could see the fires burning out in the fields it was crazy well i went back uh i don't remember the year i went back um and it's and it's, and it's been at least 20 years ago uh but now it's like solid city uh, from Fort yeah, it's Collins, changed, it's changed a little bit, <laughs> yeah. but uh, Colorado always near and dear to my heart. We still have property up in the high country up there, but uh, awesome place. Do you like Loveland? I like it a lot. Good. So, guy, tell I, I was looking at your stuff when I was putting up the page for the episode today. You've got a historic building that you're leasing. What's going yeah. on with that? It's in downtown Loveland, and uh, it was built in 1935. Uh, uh-huh. one, thing, one thing that does is it, it gives me another government uh, commission to work with. The historic commission is, uh, you know, they, they want to approve the plans because it is a historic building. But right. it was, I think originally the Loveland Power and Light Building, and then at one point, oh, yeah. The, yeah, the city of Loveland actually serviced their, uh, their trucks, the fleet of trucks in there, which is 
The nice thing about that is the area where I'll be making the lead has a uh, like a four inch concrete floor reinforced with steel I-beams that was made to hold the weight of trucks coming in to be serviced. So not many issues with tanks full of meat in that particular portion of the building. So Sweet. Yeah, aren't you lucky? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I keep thinking of Sergio Mutella and that giant thing he's got in his place. <laughs> That's where he hides the bodies. You know, he is in New Jersey. Yeah, I don't know if I can fit that into mine. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have a problem if you're trying to get big stuff in there. And, and then the uh, historic commission is just going to go, you want to put how big a door in the wall? I don't think so. <laughs> well, the nice thing is on the front, it did have a door, a garage door for, you know, overhead garage door for when the trucks were coming in and out. And they, oh, filled, okay. they filled that in and put just a regular door in it. But we've already gotten approval to take that back out and put a garage door back. So, Okay. What took you from uh, beer to uh, mead back in the nine, actually early nineties, ninety two uh, or so? Yeah, so I mean, I started like a lot of people with you know the complete joy of homebrewing, making beer. There's a mead recipe too in there, and I decided to give that a try. And I've made it you know throughout the years along with beer. And uh, my wife had asked me several times if I wanted to quit high tech and open a, a craft brewery. Uh, Craft, uh, the high tech salary was a little bit too attractive to do that. And once I was laid off, you know, even looking around Loveland, we had six breweries open, seven about to open. And, you know, I said, what would I do that would be unique enough in the beer industry to bring people to my brewery? Uh, should I do something else? So I started taking a look at my other hobby, me, and uh, went to the Mazer Cup, the AMMA meeting a couple of years ago. And, you know, listening to the numbers, the way things are growing, uh, looked like it was uh, probably a good time to turn that into my livelihood instead of beer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you're in a good place for it. You're in a good place for it too. Yeah, Colorado is one of the is one of the bigger t- places for me to be happening right now. I've yep. got an echo going on here, JD. I don't know if that's me or if it's on guys end or what. Uh, mostly it, just stopped, I think. Yeah. Uh, we'll have yeah. To keep an eye on it here. Yeah, and I, I do currently yeah. work for, for Grimm Brothers Brewing in Loveland, so the nice thing with that is I've you know, worked on the production side, I've worked in the labs, i worked in the tap room, I do sales, so I've gotten a, you know, to see and, and participate in all segments of the, at least the craft beer business, which would be you know, pretty similar to the meat business, so it's been kind of nice. Perfect. Nice. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to do it, because like you say, you're seeing the production side of things, plus you're getting involved in seeing what a small craft, uh, you know, beverage business is doing. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, John Talkington's doing that, you know, over at um, Dogfish Head and getting ready to launch his place. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. I love that you've got a, a historic building. It's cool, you know, when you can do something like that because, yeah. I don't know, it just to me it just kind of lends depth to the whole thing. Yeah, I agree. It, it is. It's one other hurdle to get over with, which and you know, you guys know well how many hurdles there are in the media, yeah. beer and wine business to you know to get up and running. But I think it's going to be worth it in the long run because it's a it's a beautiful building. It's you know brick on the outside. Most of the inside is exposed brick. Um, you know, it has a con- concrete floor throughout. So very nice space for a meter, I think. Nice. And are you going to build out a tasting room and all of that in there as well? Yes. Yes. We're going to have a tasting room or meat hall, of course. Um, of course. We're looking at a, an outdoor patio. It should be a fairly large outdoor patio we're able to put out in front of it also. So um, as much as people in Colorado love to be outside, we'll be able to cater to that. 
Cool. What about food? Are you going to do any food or are you going to stick strictly with the mead? Well, I want to do a either beer and wine or a tavern license so I can serve some beer. Part of the reason being I'm not applying for a brewery license right now and I would like to do uh, be able to serve Braggots. And also, again, I mentioned Grim Brothers. Those guys have been so good to me. I'd love to have Grim Brothers beer on there. So whatever I'm sure. required to serve by that license, I will serve it. You know, I'll certainly have snacks, peanuts, pretzels, chips, things like that. But you know, maybe required to uh, serve a little bit more food if I do that. It'll, you know, I don't want to be a restaurant, so I don't want to do any more food than I have to. Yeah. Um, there are several restaurants very close within walking distance that, you know, have offered to deliver their food. And the food truck, um, you know, society is pretty big here in Lebanon as well. So I think there's a lot of choices there. It sounds like you've got a lot of opportunities for alliances there where you could kind of, you know, keep that going. Yeah. You know, with, like you say, local restaurants and the food truck uh, industry and all that. Yep, I think so. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm seeing three generations of McConnells yes. are going to be working the metery. That's pretty cool. Yeah, my grandson is, uh, we were riding in the car one day. In fact, I think he was out with me on sales calls for, for Grim Brothers. And uh, he was sitting in the back seat and he said, Papa, I think my title at the metery should be vice president. <laughs> so I said, you mean vice president of flavor, vice president of soda? He's like, no, just vice president. You never know what I'm going to do. <laughs> How old is this person? He is eight. Uh, out of the mouths of babes. <laughs> so he, he has, he actually has business cards from the meter with vice president on his business cards. So. Awesome. <laughs> oh, man, I want one. You, you oh, that scan is one. so great. Can you just see him standing at the door on opening day in his little suit? Hi, I'm the right. president of the meter. Here's my card. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's a character. He loves, he loves to, you know, taste the honey and help me with the, you know, suggestions on recipes and things like that. So he's, uh, he's very interested in uh, helping out. Vicky, cool. you need How to get is he a about coffee. the fact that he's not allowed to drink anything? Well, he can yeah. drink it. When, he likes tasting it when it's first made. Um, you know, right. he knows that when he gets old enough, he can enjoy it like everybody else can. But he enjoys the, the part that he plays now. So. Yeah, my daughter was my taste him. tester all the time she was growing up. Kids got really clean palates, you know. Yep. That's that's the nice thing about it. So and they're okay. honest. Exactly. Yeah, they yeah, do. She'd be like, "Mom, that sucks." <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so okay. Really important question. What are you drinking? I am drinking one of my meads called Stars Fell. It is a Southern sweet tea mead. Growing up in Alabama, of course, uh, plenty of sweet tea. It's it's a semi sweet, so it's not overly sweet, but it's got black tea, lemon juice, lemon zest in it. And uh, I actually used the tea that I grew up drinking called Red Diamond Tea out of Birmingham, Alabama. I ordered it from there. So it nice. is a, kind of a taste of home. Only it's got a little kick to it. It's about 10.5% alcohol. So. Okay, cool. Wow. And lightly carbonated. So it's, it's a really nice drink for summertime, but it's, it's heavy enough to carry you in the winter, too. Yeah, and you're making a you're making a sweet tea mead in That's Colorado. Right. Yeah, dude, you're gonna have to ship some of that back back home. You know? I'll have to do that absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know them folks out there, they don't know what sweet tea is supposed That's to be. They don't sure. get it. <laughs> well, what was uh, any favorite ingredients that you uh, have out there? Guy, what what what's a favorite ingredient to use for your meads? I like the, the sweet tea. Will be one I'll have all the time. It's it's nice because it's not you know I, the fruits I use. I like to use fresh, so you know you can make those when they're in season. Um, yeah. 
I prefer to avoid frozen when I can and, you know, canned fruits and things like that. So the tea one will be on all the time. I do like uh, dark berries. I have a blackberry, blueberry one that's a session meat, about 6.3%. Uh, carbonated as well. It's, you know, beautiful rose purple color and uh, plenty of blackberry and blueberry flavor along with the orange blossom honey in there. So probably dark fruits are a favorite. Um, nice. Are you uh, able to go over to the uh, Western Slope over there around Grand Junction? Uh, you've been over there at all the orchards and uh... no, I haven't been over there. We get we get the Palisade peaches here, so I've, I've made a mead with those. I really like those. I also made one a while back with uh, I have a, a, one of the gals that works at Grim Brothers has a pear tree in her yard, so she brought me a bunch of pears. And then another friend uh, has a crab apple tree in their yard, and we picked actually picked crab apples in the rain. Yeah, I made a crab apple pear mead that turned out really nice. The you know the tartness and and a uh, little bit of bitterness from the crab apples was was offset by the sweetness of the pears. It turned out really nice. I just oh, yeah, that would be interesting. To, I can't seem to find crab apples at all out here. Yeah, and that was that was year before last, and then this past year, like a lot of people in Colorado, we had a flash freeze back early in the you know the growing season, and uh, she didn't get any crab apples on her tree at all this year, and a lot of the you know apple orchards and things like that in Colorado were hit pretty hard too. Local apiaries, honey. Yes, there's uh, several local guys around here that I get my honey from now. Obviously, I'll be scaling that up, but uh, I've got contacts with, you know, I want to use local as much as possible until it comes to things like orange blossom. We're a little short of those in uh, orange trees in Colorado. But, uh, you know, some of the more exotic ones I like to do, maybe small batches and rotators, but, you know, I'll do uh, local honey to the extent that I can for the things that I keep on all the time. Yeah, you got you to gotta work with what you can. I mean, especially after you get past a certain point. Yeah, it's you know finding enough local honey. That's what I'm seeing with some of the bigger meteries, like you know bee nectar and moonlight and um, you know rabbit's foot. They use local honey to the extent that they can, but there's only so much local honey to be had sometimes. Yeah, and his size, uh, the amount he needs is pretty considerable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, when you got your honey coming in tanker trucks, you know you got a lot of honey. You know, so. that is true. Yeah, so maybe the Canadian laws do make a little bit of sense on that. Nate, on that note. Well, they do, and at the same time, I see the the conundrum of um, how many hives do you have to have? I mean, you don't necessarily have to have a ton of land produce that much honey because you can sort of, you know, you can put your spread them around, yeah, right, yeah. You can you can pollinate for other people, but that's a yeah, hundred hundred hives is a hell of an investment. Yeah, well, and there's one meadery in Michigan, um, St. Ambrose, and uh, it's about thirty miles north of where I grew up, and uh, Kirk. Uh, has he was a honey guy before he got into mead, and they've got I want to say he's got three four hundred hives, and he's pollinating all up and down the east coast. Mm. You know, so so he's you know kind of doing it Canada style, but um, it's a lot of work. You know, yeah, yes indeed. Well, any plans to get into bees? Where I live now, I probably can't. I have a homeowners association. I'm sure would probably be okay with the state, probably the city, but the homeowners association, you know, and it's on a golf course, so I'm not. Oh, kind of living. Well, come on, it's just like a water hazard. Don't they watch television? <laughs> looks looks like there's a yeah, there's a kraken in the water hazard. That's going to take a bigger club to get him out of. You know, come on. <laughs> <laughs> 
And there is there is a water hazard pond right behind my house. So yeah. Well, there you go. So if there's bees, it just makes golf more challenging. It's a boring sport anyway. <laughs> Maybe it keeps the kraken at bay. You never know. It keeps the kraken underwater. That's right. Kra- Everybody knows krakens don't like bees. Yeah. <laughs> what so. are your uh, what What are your production plans, uh, guy? I'm looking to start with thousand liter tanks. Um, so we'll see how much we need to turn out from that. You know, I want to probably do variable volume just in case we don't need the full volume. I have some, some smaller plastic spital tanks that I bought some 120 liters. So basically one barrel fermenters that I can do smaller batches in as well. But obviously those are not glycol jacketed or anything like that. And, you know, I, I do like to carbonate most all of my meat. So probably wind up investing in a bright tank as well. Okay. So you're going the carbonation route. That's unusual. There's not a lot of carbonated meads on the market. Yeah, mostly, and I, you know, part of it is I'm sure because of the taxation on it. If it's above a certain amount of carbonation in the in the mead, but uh, I, you know, I, I think part of the, the market that I'm trying to reach is the craft beer market. And obviously, I'm very familiar with that working at Grim Brothers, but. You know, I find that not to mention living in Colorado, beer central. Yeah. yeah. But when I talk to craft beer drinkers who haven't had mead, there's usually two things. It's like, aren't they, aren't they always sweet? Well, they can be, maybe not. And yeah, I'm not a big wine drinker. It's like, well, mine's carbonated. So it's kind of like beer. You got the bubbles, you got, you know, it's a little semi-sweet to dry. Although, I mean, my wife loves the sweet ones, so I'll have to make a few of those, but. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Got to keep the family happy. <laughs> That's true, uh, but I'm, I'm kind of targeting the craft beer market with. I want to do several session type meads, so you can have a few of them and not, you know, stumble out the door. Um, yeah. In addition to the heavier ones, so and then the part of the reason, obviously, for wanting to serve beer in the place, uh, you know, partially to thank the Grim Brothers guys, but also somebody that doesn't drink mead, maybe is with somebody who does, and okay, well, they've got beer, I'll go in and have a beer while you drink your mead, and maybe they taste it, maybe they like it, but at least they come in. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's cool too because that gives you more distribution and awareness because you can do reciprocal stuff with a lot right. of these things, you know. Yeah, and you know, I want to do you know, we've already been talking with the Grim Brothers guys about doing a bracket when I get closer to opening and having it at available at the at the brewery and at the meadery. Um, so nice. That'll be a really nice way to to segue into business, I guess. It's a good partnership, huh? Yes. Yeah. So it's you're shooting nice. for a same day opening. Have you got all of your paperwork done already and no, now just in the prep stuff I, or what? I'm close to finished with it, but no, I haven't submitted it. I know it's pretty ambitious. Um, I, I don't believe the construction is going to be the uh, the holdups. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, they're they're running, uh, I want to say, 120 to 100 days right now is what I've been hearing from people who are in the process. Yeah, that sounds right. I was out at uh, UC Davis last week. Uh, Deborah from Queen Bee Brews said she was on day 100 while we were out there. So, oh, okay, I didn't know. Oh, yeah, I knew she was planning on it. I didn't realize that she'd filed. There were a couple that were 190 days that were talking on the MMA board, and they, uh, the one of them got theirs like last week, and they're like, "Yes, finally!" You know. So, <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. If you're yeah, if you're planning uh, St. Patrick's Day, I'm assuming uh, you're filing in December, right? Yep, I got to get cracking. That's for sure. <laughs> How do you tell the bank it's going to be a hundred and some days before I can make my first payment? Yeah, that well, is, it is an interesting conversation for that and for you know for the you know you got you got a lease to pay as well. And so yeah, it's uh, uh, a little bit of lead time there. 
Yeah, that's why you got to have money up front before you even start the process because the costs well, are there whether yeah. you got it ready or not. Correct. Yeah. So you're going to go, are you going to go for the lower ABV uh, session meads then? And so you can cycle them through fast and, and keep yes. production up. At least that's what I want to do to start. Cause that, you know, we can have them ready sooner. Also, I think there's a, a, a little bit broader appeal maybe of the, you know, the, the mead uh, traditional mead lovers maybe would not necessarily be as fond of those, but I'll do, you know, traditional strengths as well. I just made a pint my first pint the other day with Pinot Noir grape juice. Nice. Uh, and I'm probably going to bottle that in wine bottles and not carbonate it just to to have done one of those. Or I may pull a little bit off and bottle it and put you know put some in a smaller keg and carbonate it just to see how it goes because I happen to like carbonated red wines as well. So. Oh, okay. That's an interesting concept though, to take a full on, you know, just a quote unquote regular mead. Um, it's not technically a session or anything and, and, you know, just kind of play with it. There's, I mean, I think it's great. See what your people like. And you're, you're kind of out in a field by yourself a little bit there, because like I say, there's just on the top of my head, I can think of maybe eight or 10 carbonated meads nationwide that I know of. Yep. You know, there just aren't that many. And that's, you know, when I was making beer uh, and started making meat, I carbonated initially in the bottle. And then, like a lot of folks, got tired of, even though I used the flip-top bottles for a good part of the, you know, I always put my meads in flip-top bottles. But you got tired of bottling. I still had all the flip-tops. I got rid of the, you know, the crown cap type bottles. And I got uh, like a dozen five-gallon kegs. So I started putting my meads in those and force carbonating them. And I've just, I've just kind of always had a preference for that. So I'm guessing that your business plan is going to be including maybe uh, working with the bars and doing quantity stuff like the keg, pony keg, that kind of thing. Correct. Yeah, I want to do that. There's a couple of places already that, you know, initially I want to have it just in the meat hall, um, you know, come in, taste it, give us feedback, let's produce what we what we need for that and get get started, get some revenue flowing. And then there there are a couple of restaurants in Loveland and, and one in Fort Collins who expressed an interest and who know me well enough that I would feel like I could put it in and it wouldn't be one of those. Well, they're not going to sell any because nobody's going to ask for it. So Yeah. <laughs> this is again. This is yeah. Colorado. These people know. <laughs> you know. I mean, you couldn't honestly. I mean, if 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 I could, I'd move to Colorado. I love that state. They're so yeah. they're so craft beverage aware. It doesn't hurt that the ABA is there. You yeah. know. But um, you know, it's just it's just so cool that they're they're so willing to accept interesting new things and you wouldn't think they would be but they are you know right. so and and yeah and i'm sorry i'm gonna drag you off into a marketing conversation here because that's that's okay where my interest levels are but uh jd aj i'm sure you guys have got some other questions so i'll step back here <laughs> well, actually no. the marketing is the important thing that most of the rest of us don't think about when we think well, about hey i could do this as a living so it's important to talk about well, yeah. I mean, and this will, but see, this is what I do for a living. I work with craft beverage companies to help them do their marketing so they can, you know, stay in business. But, um, you know, I make money because it's always nice to make money. But uh, <laughs> I, so, so I get to talking to meteries. It's all like quizzing them about all their marketing stuff. And what are you doing about? This? Have you thought of that? And somebody asked one question. I got me the other day and got like fourteen paragraphs from me. And he's like, "Damn, can we talk?" Because <laughs> 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 I was just like, "Have you thought of that? What about this?" You know? <laughs> okay, I got one then. Um, have you? Did you try mead before you made it? Had you ever tasted it before you made your first batch? Yes, I actually had had uh, some redstone mead years ago, and then uh, you know the the 
we had a Renaissance Fair very close to us in North Carolina, and they had the, uh, I won't name a brand, but a very sweet, not very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is It is now. I got to jump. Yeah, they still have it. They got a lock on that show because his sister yes. shows Arizona. But yeah. um, they actually reformulated and took a gold medal at the Mazer Cup a few years ago. So it's not like that anymore. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, that's, that's good because, uh, you know, I, I'm not – Obviously, most of us are not after that because it wasn't necessarily that good. But, it, you know, at least it's good to see that those guys are, are changing as well. But, um, you know, yeah, so I had a couple of meets. And then we were in uh, in Ireland. My son, his high school from Dublin, of all things, got to go march in the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Dublin, Ireland here when he was a senior. Cool. So we went to Bunratty Castle and had the dinner and they had some mead there, which was marginally better but still it's it's one of those you know i think they make it quick, well, quick it's state. not it's not mead it's actually white wine with spices and yeah. honey added so it's tasty ish but yeah it's not mead <laughs> yeah so those weren't necessarily you know things that i aspired to make but you know making my own mead and realizing that it you know I felt like what I was making, or at least I liked what I was making better. So I felt like there was, you know, there was definitely some things that could be done that at least I couldn't find. But, but again, I was in Alabama, and you, you really didn't find a whole lot of craft anything in Alabama in those days. No, no you really don't. Yeah, and and even now, there's still not a lot. I mean, it's starting to pick up. They're getting their they're getting their share of breweries now, but it's still pretty low on the totem pole there. But yeah, it's so funny that you started out with it because I started. With the same um, means, you know, like, well, I could make this because, yeah. you know, yeah. I can't. How hard can that be? But I was saying you got to give those guys credit for putting us on the map. <laughs> yeah, I was I was traveling out to Boulder you know, when I worked in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, Exabyte was one of our suppliers. So I would come out to train before I started working for them. So I discovered Redstone Meat when I was out here. And, you know, it's I, I happened to like their their meats pretty well at the time and certainly better than anything else I had. So that may be what right, kind they of make, they made, make good meat. Yes. And that can, maybe kind of what got me into the carbonated thing, because David has done you know, carbonated meats for as long as I've known about him anyway. So, well, yeah. And he's one of the ones that kind of uh, kind of went out there and did it when nobody else was doing it. You know, I mean, he, he kind of opened up the field for commercial. Yes. Yes. And, um, and, and I, what I always loved about him was that he made, he made a mead for the every man. Yes. You know, he made an easily accessible, easy drinking. I can take this with me and my friends will like it kind of mead. Yes. You know, and he still does. It's just, it's great. And he's, you know, he's done as much as, as Chaucer's has really to it's, bring need to the masses. Well, and I was at, I was at the Dungeons and Drafts, a place up in Fort Collins last night. And I had one of his, um, Nectar of the Hops and I had one of his pumpkin meads up there. So pumpkin spice. Mm. Meads, so. Ooh, He's got a pumpkin spice. Oh, we're, oh, we're, we're not now. Wait a minute. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> pumpkin spice? Yeah, totally into this pumpkin spice. Now, nectar, wait. nectar of the hops is good. I really like that one. Yes. We're not talking pumpkin meads anymore. Yeah, no, just because yours <laughs> crashed and burned, JD. And besides, yours well, wasn't pumpkin know. spice. Yours was just pumpkin. <laughs> we're talking pumpkin spice from Redstone here. I know this is his vanilla spice is like, <gasps> I love that stuff. It's so good. <laughs> you know, we, um, we don't know if it's crash and burned yet, but we're, yeah, but anyway. Yeah. Gotta give it resting quietly. <laughs> Guy, I may have to have you run down there and smuggle me out a couple of bottles to sip. Oh, I, I, I didn't know he was doing a pumpkin, man. Uh, yeah, see, I'll check for I'll check first and see if it's distributing here because he distributes yep. to North Carolina. I just don't okay. know if he's got that one. Yep. 
Be well, they, usually have, they, they usually have a couple of his meads on at Dungeons and Drafts, and that's one of the places that's interested in putting my my meat on when I'm ready. So cool. Dungeons and Drafts. We're talking to Guy McConnell here tonight from Laughing Leprechaun Meadery in Loveland, Colorado. You want to talk to Guy? Give us a holler. A one eight nine two one four six eight zero. It ought to be on your speed dial. Guy, are you uh, any plans to introduce ciders or get into any kind of a cider uh, deal at all? That's not in my business plan at the moment. There is a there's a cidery here in Loveland. Um, they make pretty good ciders, and you know there's a couple up in Fort Collins. So, I, you know, I certainly could with the winery license do that. I might be more interested in doing a sizer, yeah, uh, rather than mm-hmm. a straight cider. But I don't know. It's uh, it's not really something that's in my business plan at the moment. Yeah, give him give him time to get get his uh, feet planted firmly, and uh, that's true. Needs <laughs> moving out the door, and then start looking at expansion. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, can can you can you describe the process that you're going through? Uh, is is it as big a headache as, as some people have said on our show, or, or are you finding the whole experience? Uh, I, I have yet to get to the government part of it because I haven't submitted my licensing paperwork yet, so I can't comment on that. But you know what I'm dealing with now is is the city of Loveland, and they've been extremely easy to work with for us, partially because they're. We're working on revitalizing the, the downtown uh, area of Loveland. So having a business moving in down there that will bring people in, have them stay, hang around, you know, visit the restaurants, the shops and things like that. They're interested in doing that. Um, I also have a very good architect and contractor who's working and, you know, they've spent the time to, to get an idea of what I'm looking for. And if you go on the Facebook page, the rendering of the building is, you know, it's, I mean, exactly the kind of thing I had in mind when I was talking to them. So that was what was put before the city and the Historic Commission, and they've done their homework, did a great job, got the ducks all in a row before we ever went in, and we haven't had any real pushback or, you know, kick it back. It has to go before the city council. It's, it's all been approved in, you know, the first rounds, and so it's it's just a time thing. You know, it feels like right now I'm, all I'm doing is approving drawings and filling out paperwork here and there, and there's not really <laughs> any real work that I can do at the moment. So that part, not really a headache. It's just frustrating because I'd really like to be – doing something yeah yeah i'm I'm digging through your pictures here on your facebook page not seeing the drawings i do like the uh the uh, laughing leprechaun metal cup so those are super awesome yeah thanks (laughs) trying to get the uh the vice president to call in but i suppose it might be past his bedtime yeah he's actually in the next room and they're laying on the couch playing his nintendo d uh, ds so he's uh he's available but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tell him to get mom's cell phone. Wow, <laughs> oh, oh, what an awesome night. Uh, again, Guy McConnell here from Laughing Leprechaun Meadery, uh, soon to start up here in Loveland, Colorado. And uh, gosh, it's been so many years since I've been to Loveland. I do remember there was like an old town downtown part to it. But when I was there, Guy, it, it was just an old town. I mean, there was yes. no... Uh, you know, I mean, it was just that, just an old town. It was just an old farming community, uh, and that was it, you know. Basically. Yeah, when we moved here in 98, the downtown, I mean, there were, there were some retail shops down there, and there's actually a few people who have been there the whole time. Uh, there was maybe one or two restaurants, not so much, and it was, you know, parking was tight. It was not really a, 
at least from my perspective, it didn't seem to be a big plan to try to bring people down there necessarily. And, and that's changed a good bit over the, the last several years and, and, you know, even more so recently. So there's quite a few restaurants down there. Um, one of the breweries in Loveland, Verboten Brewing, is moving from out east where Grim Brothers is to downtown Loveland on 5th Street. They'll just be kind of across the tracks from where we are. Um, so there's... Uh, Loveland Ale Works is down there. So there's a couple of breweries. There'll be a meadery. There's several really nice restaurants within walking distance down there, and uh, it's really started to uh, you know to be a destination for people to go. They have a, a first Friday, so you come out Friday nights. The businesses stay open later. The retail shops and people walk around. They have specials. We do the you know ice carving. We have the Valentine's parade and all that stuff. Being a sweetheart city, so a lot of things going on down there. Yeah, yeah. The Valentine's uh, deal that that was a big thing. That was. I think that thing's like a couple hundred years old, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. It's been around before me anyway. Yeah, oh yeah, that that's like, that was a big thing. In fact, uh, I remember it was a big thing to, you know, take all your Valentine's cars to Loveland and have them, you know, take them to the post office. Uh, yeah, we did, still- uh we still do the remailer. Yeah, they still do the remailer program. You can actually mail them from you know in a, another envelope from wherever you are yeah. to the post office in Loveland, and they'll pick <laughs> with the stamp with the Loveland, you know, Sweetheart City Valentine thing, and then send them out for you. So cute, still big here. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Christmas Michigan does that too. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When, uh, you know, Vicki kind of lightly touched on it, but I know she's into, into the, all the marketing thing, and I'm it's kind of intriguing, really. Uh, one of the questions that I like to ask is, is how do you market to people who have never had mead before? I mean, it's, it's still basically brand new out there. Uh, how, do you, how do you market that to people who have never tried it before? Yeah, so, you know, again, working where I work now at Grim Brothers, I get a chance to visit a lot of bars, restaurants, festivals, talk to people. And, you know, while my job is to work for Grim and, you know, if the conversation moves to meat, I can talk about meat as well. I, you know, I, I try to bring the, the history in, the, the romance, the intrigue, um, you know, part of the working on an elevator pitch, you know, for me is trying to figure out how you – pique people's interests and get them ready to ask questions rather than trying to dump on them and, you know, launch the whole thing right away just to kind of get, um, get their curiosity going. So they'll go out and research it. Or obviously if I have it to try, um, that, that usually works out pretty well because most people who try it tend to like it. So it's, uh, you know, not necessarily sweet, but it can be, you can do all kinds of things with it. It can be high alcohol, lower alcohol, bubbly, not bubbly. So, uh, just, you know, I'm just talking. I just try to paint a picture of that. Some of the, you know, some of the historic significance of meat and the resurgence, and kind of let them know they're going to be missing out if they don't try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, that's true. I started making meat long before I really, you know, kind of had that first official taste of it, and right. uh, it was kind of a, it was different. It was very different. Uh, and of course, you know, when people mention the word honey and tell you that you know it's a wine made with honey. Uh, your first instinct is, well, gee, this is going to be, it's good. This is going to taste like uh, an alcoholic orange blossom honey, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's not the case at all. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and it's it's like you know, I, I also roast my own coffee, so it's funny. I'll, I'll tell my son sometimes. Oh, about- dude. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, he's he's a coffee snob. <laughs> oh God, yes. 
<laughs> oh so my I, god yes i'll talk to my son sometimes about the uh, the different flavors you should pick up in the coffee you know it's it's leathery there's tobacco there's dark cherry there's chocolate and he'll usually say nah just taste coffee so <laughs> you know it's kind of like the same thing with the honey to start with if you can get past the sweetness and and to the underlying flavors and Vicki, uh, you know, I've judged with you at the major cups. So, you know, that's what we do as judges. You try to get to the underlying flavors and, and yeah. on the honey side, that lets you know what your meat is going to taste like when you ferment the sweetness out. So that's what you, you know, try to train the palate, uh, tasting beer, tasting meat, tasting wine, honey, those coffee, those kind of things just to get beyond the, Oh, well, this is coffee or Oh, this is honey. Um, the, the unfortunate thing with that, after having worked at a brewery now for a year and a half, uh, every beer I taste, I tend to judge, which is, sometimes takes the pleasure out of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, coffee. Uh, AJ and, and Vicky, have you two uh, ever made a coffee flavored mead? Um, I would never make a coffee flavored mead because I detest coffee. But um, <laughs> oh, I wow. have I have cherished for years the idea of making a chai mead. And um, I actually acquired a bottle of chai mead through nevarious circumstances from uh, <laughs> from Starlight Durham. Um, they they were kind enough to gift me with a bottle of it, and um, it's it's actually sitting there looking at me and I'm going, "I really should drink this. I want to know what it tastes like." But then if I drink it, it'll all be gone, and then all I do, you know. So uh, and and I understand that I have a bottle of chai mead that's uh, wending its way through various channels to me from Australia from. Uh, from uh, Hamish too, yeah. so uh, you know we'll see what we'll see what happens. Have you? I uh, have. Uh, I have got coffee mead on my to brew list. However, that list is three pages and counting. <laughs> I, I have so much I want to do and so little time and energy to do it. Yeah, uh, I, I've got I've got a month of enforced. Don't get to do much of anything going on. So I figure as long as I know I'm not going to get to to stray far, I'm going to go ahead and pitch the uh, strawberry rhubarb one. I got to pick Pete's brain and. Uh, make sure I've got my ducks in a row with my recipe and then make a run down to the brew shop to pick up supplies. And then I'm going to get that going. Yeah. I do have a friend who roasts his own coffee. So if I decide what I want to use for it, I will probably go and see him for it. There you go. Yeah. I, man, I, man, I kidding. I could, I could see myself flying out to Loveland and going to Leprechaun and having a nice coffee mead. Oh yeah. Well, and coffee meads are all the rage right now. That, that oh, no. is, that is the trending mead. Uh, two years ago it was, uh, pepper mills or caps, capsicum mills is the official designation, but I call them pepper mills, but you know, hot pepper meads, which are still out there, but we have had a surge, you know, a surge of coffee meads in the last two, three years. And last year, I think there was three or maybe four coffee meads that meddled at the Mazer Cup. They're just all over the place. Well, there's a really good coffee beer that I drink too. So, yep. Would, yeah. Well, uh, until you can get your one from Laughing Leprechaun, you can check out uh, Moonlights. You probably can get Moonlights where you're at, JD. Yes, I would. Imagine. Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen the, I've seen Moonlight. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a rare occasion, but uh, down on my mother load of mead supplier, yeah. <laughs> I found. <laughs> Um, yeah, his Karma Sumatra is, or Kama Sumatra is, is pretty good. Oh, Sumatra. So I love Sumatra coffee. And, Guy, I, I would think that that would be an incredible bean to make a mead with. That is, yeah. So I, I tend toward the coffees that I roast to drink. I, I tend toward more the Indonesian, the Sumatrans and the Javas and things like that because I like the less acidity and the 
bigger, rich, syrupy bodies of those coffees a lot. So that definitely would be something that would wind up in a mead for me. Yeah, absolutely. Is that on the uh, to-do list there at uh, Leprechaun? It is on the formulation list, yes. (laughs) And do you have a favorite coffee beanery that you get your beans from that you'll be using for that I mean, you don't have to you don't have to just divulge the name or your secrets but no, I, do you have a do you have a local place you plan on working with or, or not, what? not a local one i get it from a place out of uh, i think they're out of oakland it's sweet maria's coffee oh okay and then they have a on the uh, business side they have a what they call the, the shrub i think it's called just the shrub if you want to buy larger quantities you can buy it as a, as a business rather than I, I buy 20 pounds of beans at a time just for myself so Ah, you're a real, you're a real uh, coffee drinker. Oh, wow. Awesome. Well, guys, it's been a fun night. And, uh, gosh, I mean, I could stay here and talk meat all night long here. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, that and makes another. And, and, Guy, if you, you know, if you're bored and want to sit and drink mead with us and hang out, you're more than welcome to do so. I will turn my player back on as soon as I hang up because I'm really interested in, uh, in listening to the rest of the show. Actually, I'll just listen on here, but I'm really interested in listening to the rest of the show. Cool. Awesome. Guy, thanks uh, a million for coming on. And, uh, you know, I mean, oh, Vicky, totally. this is another one. We need to keep track of you mm-hmm. getting back here in, you know, five, six months. Let's check on uh, Leprechaun, see where they're at. And, uh, you know, and I got to put it on my list, too. I mean, I, I guess I could stop off in Loveland on my way to Mississippi. Uh, <laughs> you might as well <laughs> making so, a hit list <laughs> yeah you well he's flying that. he's flying into raleigh so i know i'm gonna have to make yeah. sure i'm around when he comes yeah, you through. can take some of that sweet tea meat back to the south as you go like yeah this. please do go. yeah bring me <laughs> some sweet tea meat i mean that's yeah oh my god that would be so awesome all right hey we're gonna step away take a commercial break when we come back hey seatbelt yourself in because ask oscar is gonna be here shortly Stick around. We'll be back. Known for the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey, Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes mead, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at BeeNectar.com. That's BeeNectar with a K.com. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. 
Hey, this is J.D. Webb from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead. And I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery meads now. Visit them at their online store at moonlightmeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery Mead. Pete says memento. And we are back here live again on Got Mead Live. Uh, laughing Leprechaun Meadery and Loveland. You know, the, the only thing I was going to tell them, the only thing high tech in Loveland, Colorado, when I was there was probably a light bulb in a barn somewhere. <laughs> I haven't been to Loveland yet, but I uh, was for me and Pete and Kyle Byerly and Wayne Bonchick, some of the uh, folks that run the Mazer Cup, uh, all piled in a car and drove up to Fort Collins, which is where Kyle's from, and uh, or where Kyle lives. I don't know if he's from there, but anyway... Uh, he, there was this tapas restaurant we went to up there that was just amazing. Oh my god, the food was so good, and um, they had, you know, of course it's Colorado, so they had a lovely selection of craft beers and whatnot. It was pretty great. Yeah. Well, you know, Loveland, Colorado was. I mean, you know, I, I went to the feed store down there. I mean, the only reason why I would have went to Loveland was, you know, go buy pig wire or seed uh, <laughs> for the pigs or whatever, but. Uh, you know, obviously it's grown up since then. And even the last time I was in Loveland, uh, like I say, I had just been probably at least 20, maybe 25 years ago. Um, I mean, it was just a small little agricultural community and that was it, but obviously it's grown since then. We've got, uh, Mississippi Chris on the line here. Hey Chris. Hey Chris. Hey, man, I tell you what, man, that dang old coffee, man, you put that stuff in that pot there and put that water in it, you go, they think them get all wired up, man. <laughs> How you doing down there, Chris? Man, I love coffee. Awesome. Well, you kind of have to in your job. Uh, yeah, I would figure you'd be mainlining it. Yeah, right. I mean, well, you, you, I, can do it, you can do an IV and you know how to do it. <laughs> I, told you, I, I told you I got addicted to the K-Cups. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm making one right now, actually. Those things are terribly <laughs> addictive. Have you seen the new Keurig Cold? And This is so cool. I've got to post this on Got Me. Keurig is making a cold drink thing. And in K-Cups, you can get margaritas and... <laughs> Just add alcohol, or do you they just have add stuff? alcohol? Exactly, you pour your alcohol in, and it does all the rest. I'm like, oh, I gotta have me one of them. Or a pina colada. <laughs> I just stick to my my bold coffee. I like the dark roast bold. Ah, uh, okay. But um, I got to get a recipe for this uh, coffee mead. I got to try this because I love coffee. Uh, oh, okay, me too. You got, have you got oh, Pete? Come on, got yeah. mead. JD Pete says he's ready. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There's a couple of recipes up on Got Mead, and I mean, like I say, it really is all the rage right now. Um, there's just everybody's making, and there's four or five different ones out there that are pretty darn amazing. And and metalware. And I don't like cold. with a K cup. There you go. Yeah. I I, I tried yeah. all of them, and I don't even like coffee, and I love these meads. Hey Pete. Oh, yeah. yeah and 
And with the weather turning off like it has here uh, lately, so we need all the warm coffee we can get. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> it was 26 degrees here the other night. Is that crazy for Mississippi in November? That's uh, pretty crazy for Mississippi in November, man. I woke up to snow. Wait. Somebody actually had the courage to say Mississippi and crazy in the same phrase. <laughs> I know it's weird, isn't it? If you live in the South, you're allowed. If you don't, you're not allowed. Sorry. I live in Southern California, book. so I can do whatever I want. You're higher on the hemispheric chart than I am there, Vicky. So, uh, I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm probably south of whoever it is in that's calling from Mississippi. That's Chris. Yeah, uh, possibly. Yeah. yeah, but you know, you're still in the. Uh, in the weather zone of, look, today it's going to be hot and sunny, and tomorrow extended hot and sunny. Shut up. <laughs> You're about on the same parallel as, uh, what, Jackson, Mississippi, probably. I think so, yeah. 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 Well, uh, before we get to the Ask Oscar piece, uh, it's something we didn't do last show that uh, we're going to try to do this show. There's some equipment that I've been able to put together that's kind of fun, and it has made my mead making experience a whole lot easier and if you uh are a member of uh, got me do you go into the forum and check it out i put uh some notes in there about some of the things that i've been doing and uh you know the first thing is this uh not and i don't know what vicky and aj got going uh but i just get tired hey, of listening I, I, I just get tired of lifting these like 8,000 pound carboy. You know what I mean? And uh, that's what I have, have a husband. Exactly. I was just going to say, that's what husbands are for. That and um, that and taking out the garbage, mowing the grass and in my case doing the laundry. Yeah. Well, I put See, that's, together- that's why I just, that's why I just stick with the like 4,000 pound carboys. Cause they're much yeah. easier to move than the 8,000 pound ones. <laughs> yeah. But I put together this transfer device uh, that is really uh, efficient and pretty cheap to make, uh, and it just uh, it just requires a project box, a small pump, a vacuum pump. Uh, it's like twenty bucks uh, that you can get off of Amazon. I got most of everything that I that I put together from Amazon and from Home Depot. And the vacuum pump, uh, there's a little drawing on the form there. I mean, it's very simple. Uh, you know, the vacuum pump uh, just sucks it from one to the next, basically. Uh, you know, that's the short version. And you don't have to lift your carboys up onto the counter and do the, you know, the siphon thing and, and you know, all that. Uh, and I'm able to rack, uh, I haven't timed the five gallon, but it took 40 seconds to rack a full three gallon carboy into another three gallon carboy. And, uh, so it's pretty darn efficient. Um, what kind of oxygenation are you getting when you're doing that? Cause vacuums usually come at the cost of generating your, uh, whatever it is you're racking. None. There are valves. I have valves uh, in the uh, in, on the hoses that uh, on the vacuum hoses, and I'm able to shut them off before it even gets to a point where it even sucks air. So, um, and I've been very conscious of that because that's one thing that I did not want to happen. I didn't want it to suck a whole bunch of air uh, because the vacuum pump that I'm using is is pretty powerful. Um, and uh, as it turns out, it's uh, about the same pump that's in your food saver 
uh, food machine. Uh, if that makes any sense for those of you who might have one of those. Yeah, uh, I've got a, our food yeah. saver is getting a lot of work right now because John got another deer last weekend. Yeah, Mine's about 20 years old. Yeah, and it works, uh, you know, it, it, like I say, it works very efficiently. I mean, at least I don't have to lift these, you know, heavy ass carboys up on top of the counter and, uh, you know, put another one on a stool and, and do the whole siphon thing. Uh, the other little project that I put together is a chiller and I don't have a whole lot of room. And of course I don't want to spend the whole show talking about that 550 square foot winery. That guy's got. <laughs> <laughs> JD's got a <laughs> bee in his bonnet about building a winery in his house. There we go. This well, I've been on, I've been on this mission of efficiency, trying just trying to make things efficient in my little mead house here. And the other thing that I was concerned about, and of course, this is a lesson that I've learned from Pete listening to the Ask Oscar, and it has been drilled into me about temperature and temperature control. And I've got that down pat. Uh, the chiller system that I'm using is is really efficient now the only downside yeah you gotta make ice uh, because you have to keep your cooler full but i'm on a 48 hour cycle and i'm soon to be even better than that uh hoping to go to somewhere near a 56 hour cycle uh at least to the point where i just need to add ice maybe once a week uh, but it just involves, uh, uh, copper tubing, three eighths inch copper tubing that at 40 feet of it that you wrap around your carboy. Uh, and then I've got an insulated jacket that goes around that and the digital temperature controller, uh, an STC 1000. Again, you can get all this. So you can click on the links in the, in the forum there. Uh, just go to tonight's show listing, and I've got pictures that you can see, uh, and all this stuff really works uh, fantastic. I, I just I can't get over how 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 good this stuff works. But the digital controller uh, controls the temperature, it controls the submersible pump in the cooler that pumps the cold ice water around the copper tubing that's uh, you know around the uh, the carboy, the glass carboy. And there is a thermal well uh, in a bung that's uh, that's about a, almost about a foot long. It uh, goes down into the must, and then into it you insert the probe from the STC 1000, and it controls uh, the temperature. Now I've been able to get the internal temperature of the carboy down to 50 degrees and maintain it there. Uh, which is, I think, pretty darn good for uh, for this kind of a system. So, uh, and it's not real expensive uh, to put together. I mean, you're the most expensive part of that little system is going to be your copper tubing. It run me about fifty bucks, I think it was. But uh, you know, I mean, these are just a, a couple of things that I've been able to put together. Um, you know, your vacuum thing can also act as a degasser. Uh, I hooked it up to a bung. You got to be very careful with uh, <laughs> doing it because you can actually you can actually suck the must right up out of the carboy. <laughs> uh, so you got to be careful, and uh, you know you've got to go into a spillover jar uh, in order to catch liquid. Don't don't just you know hook your suction directly up to the carboy because I guarantee you 
when it foams up, it foams up like you won't believe. Uh, and you need to have some kind of a spillover jar so that you won't send all that through the pump. But, uh, and then, well, JD, have you applied for your license yet? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> not yet. But, uh, you know, I mean, some of the things, uh, that I've been able to put together are just, uh, kind of improve my efficiency here in my little mead house a little bit. And I thought I would uh, at least share them, uh, you know, uh, with others on the show here. But, um, you know, if you want to know more, I mean, you can contact me through the show. I mean, uh, you know, you know where to get me on uh, on the forum there. Just leave me a message, and I'll be happy to go into more detail. Um, the one thing about aeration, do not use. Uh, you I'm want sorry, to- I really need to move along tonight. I've got a few things yeah. going on, so. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, we'll do that. we'll do your stuff after we because Pete's probably got a. He's got to work early tomorrow. Yeah, no problem. Let's get let's get into uh, Ask Oscar. Right on. Making your mead your. So, and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing, and that's a good way to do it. Dig into the uh, mechanics of certain things that you've done. Find alternatives to the high-priced offerings that are out there in the market that a lot of home mead makers can't really, uh, you know, shell out, you know, a couple thousand dollars at a shot for it's a good example. There's uh, a lot of pumps out there that are less expensive that cavitate, so they'll tend to uh, aerate your must when you're pulling it out of one carboy and transferring it to another. So looks sounds like uh, with the degassing ability that you've got there and the transfer ability, especially in the, the, the time frame that you're talking, which is, that's really, really fast. You said three gallons in less than 40 seconds? Yeah, three gallons in 40 seconds. That's and pretty I- doggone good. Well, it also depends on the size. Of, you know, uh, I'm using a pretty large hose, too. Oh, okay. That makes a difference, too. Yeah. A lot of these things work on, you know, like like three-eighths or even uh, less than that. So it constricts the uh, speed that you can move at as well. Nice. So I guess, uh, you know, I was looking at some of the uh, questions that were coming in for the Ask Oscar segment, and... You know, a lot of them kind of center around, you know, kind of related techniques about, you know, how can I taste honey? How can I tell which honey is good? Um, You know, which yeast should I use with which honey? Um, What about, you know, my water? Should I treat my water? Should I do this? We had a question about using rainwater or melted snow or, or whatever, and it's like, you know, I don't use that kind of stuff around here in Southern California, and J.D. can attest to this as well. You know, the air around here isn't so great, and when it rains, there's always this, like, yellowish, bubbly sludge that comes with the rain yeah. Um, yeah. for the first no. day or so. Yeah, you don't and want to drink rainwater. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, my experience with that is pretty low, and I'm not so sure that I'd use rainwater anyhow. Um, I just don't like the idea that it's, you know, coming down through the atmosphere and being, you know, held out in the open. I'm sure there's rainwater that's good. I know that Brother Adam at Buckfast Abbey used rainwater for his stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, not in Southern California. And, you know, honestly, before I'd use rainwater, I'd, I'd go ahead and suggest that whoever wants to do that, that they uh, take the water and get it analyzed because there's bound to be something in it that ain't good. Um Unless you're living out in the middle of nowhere, where there's no cars or anything else, and then 
the only thing you're going to have to worry about there is dust and pollen, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you're still going to probably want to treat it with something to get those out of there. So before I go down the rabbit hole on that path, uh, the things that kind of struck me in the questions that I've seen in the last couple of weeks have been um, really centering around three things. One of them is making the mead yours. Uh, and that is, you know, developing a style, developing your own way of making mead, uh, making it more personalized, your end product, uh, a reflection of you, your art, how you make it, why you make it, and what you're making. Um, and that goes, you know, making it yours has a couple of other things involved in it. One of them is refining your style. Um, and once you've refined your style, then branching out into other, you know, kind of things. So in making the need yours, uh, I was talking to JD yesterday because we were going to record this, and I just, my schedule's been crazy, and it's crazy today, crazy tonight, too. Um so uh, we were talking about, you know, honey and JD mentioned that he was out, um, out in uh, a local area here in Southern California. He'd picked up 60 pounds of honey for a really good price, wildflower. And he said it tasted really great. And that's one of the main things right there about making the mead yours is developing uh, an ongoing relationship with a, a beekeeper or, uh, you know, a honey producer, somebody, somebody who's close to the honey that you're actually using, somebody who is, you know, with uh, either either harvest it themselves or, you know, has a personal relationship with the people that are harvesting it. Um, I was telling him that, you know, you develop a relationship with your beekeeper or who you're buying it from. And if, if they're the ones that are actually extracting the honey from the hives, um, I've been fortunate enough a couple of times to get a call from uh, one of the guys here in Orange County when he's extracting honey. So I've, you know, zipped over to um, in his place and gotten honey that was fresh out of the comb. And let me tell you, that's some of the best honey ever um, that you're going to go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, isn't it? I mean, I, the, the honey that I picked up in El Monte was right out of the, right out of the comb. I mean, it's just as fresh as can be. And it's the most amazing stuff. Yeah. And see it, the aromatics fade over time. And that's one of the things that's really important about getting to know a good beekeeper and honey producer and honey farmer, um, you know, in, in winemaking, they have uh, a term that they use for the guys that grow the grapes, you know, cause a lot of the guys that grow the grapes don't even make wine. They, they grow it and sell it. And so they call them wine growers. And so wouldn't it be neat in the meat industry if sooner or later we still started calling, um, you know, uh, beekeepers, honey or mead, mead growers, meat harvesters that'd be cool literally taking the main component taking the honey is the main component and you know they're they're starting to see that a lot of people like to make mead now um, before when i got went to beekeepers meetings a couple of people would bring a bottle or two and the last one that i went to a few weeks ago uh, there were like a good 10 or 12 guys there that brought mead for everybody to try and that's just over the course of about four years so it's it's catching on. And JD even mentioned a gal out here in uh, Southern California, out toward uh, Moreno Valley, that uh, had a uh, that has uh, is thinking of or is looking at mead herself, and she has knows or has people who have hives. So it, it's becoming more and more of a, a you know a segue now for beekeepers to start making mead themselves, and I think that's a great thing because it just makes them more aware 
um, that can be good, that can be bad, but uh, uh, good in the way that it gives us more access to really good honey and bad in the way that it's all like, well, I can start raising the prices because there's such a huge demand. Um, so, and that's kind of what happens. That's what happened with meadow foam honey. You know, mm-hmm. for a long time it was out there and nobody even knew about it. And then um, being selfish myself, I, you know, I kept the down low on where I was getting it and all that. And then um, all of a sudden somebody didn't really uh, honor that request and got it out there in the open. And the next time I called the guy, the honey was more than twice as much as it was, you know, when I'd been buying it from him before. Yeah. And so that's kind of what happens. Everybody jumps on board both feet and the guy goes, wow, I should be getting more than I should be getting a lot more than this. And they raise their price and then you either have to pay it or move on and find another source. And so, you know, you're going to get what the market demands if you're a beekeeper and you'd be crazy not to, but at the same time, you know, you got to, when people say, Hey, listen, you know, I, I use this guy regularly. Um, you know, I'm going to tell you who it is, but I'd appreciate it if you just like keep it on the down low. Um, it might be a good idea to just kind of honor that request because yeah. you, know, you end up a cutting down on the availability and b driving the prices up. So, not to mention you know, ensuring that the buddy that you got the tip from is never going to give you another one again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's just say that this individual was shunned after that. there was actually yeah i remember there was like a little tempest in a teapot over that when that happened because it was at the time everybody was going meadow foam what's this where can i get it well you know they grow it out west you might be able to find we'd all just sort of dance around and nobody would say where they were getting it so um because like pete says there was there's really only a few people at the time who had it and there wasn't very much of it so you know it was basically protecting the sources but somebody somebody uh, somebody talked yeah so in any case um and you know getting back to the main subject at hand there uh, developing that relationship with a, a beekeeper and getting you know certain kinds of honey that he has that are you know as fresh as you can get it and then once you've got that kind of honey then you can start sitting down and you know, trying different yeast with it. You know, I did, I published out one thing in the forums there, a yeast test on just, you know, basic honey, just to see what kind of influence it should get with uh, different kinds of yeast. And, you know, did that with like five one-gallon batches of orange blossom with um, a number of different yeasts. Um, That would be my suggestion is use the same honey with a bunch of different yeast. And I don't just mean five, I mean like 25, you know, and, do a blind taste test, have somebody pour, you know, like a little sample into a, a bunch of little, you know, non, uh, a bunch of little neutral plastic cups that don't leave any res that don't leave any, you know, influence on the, the mead that's in it and taste it. And then, you know, kind of come to a conclusion of which are the top five that you like and find out what those yeasts are and then just make some more test batches with it of the same honey, do two or three of those and see if you get consistent results. Um, and then start finding other yeast or excuse me, other honeys that this, that that particular yeast matches up well to, or even try it the other way around, try, you know, another set of 25, you know, small batches, uh, and taste and, and narrow it down. Get yourself to a working group of about 10 me, 10, uh, yeast that you like, and, you know, have, you know, your top three that you work with. 
um, that way you know the kind of influence it's going to have on just about every honey you're going to be using. So once you know how it works with, say, orange blossom, then try it with mesquite and then try it with um, macadamia nut or, you know, western buckwheat or clover or blueberry or blackberry or cranberry or whatever kind of honeys you're getting. Um, honeys that have their own unique signatures and things like that, um, you really want to take those things that are unique or that are really desirable and you want to treat them as delicately as you can. So where GD was talking earlier about temperature control, that's a huge thing. The lower you ferment, the less of those things volatilize during fermentation and the more of them you keep. So find great honey, find a yeast strain that either leaves it intact or enhances it or plays off of it to give you some other really great flavors. Ferment low, manage your fermentation. Um, make sure that, you know, when you're racking, you aerate as little as possible. And that's where that uh, pump that JD was talking about comes in handy. You know, just regular cane racking and all that, you, you know, you're not sealing the bottle, you're not evacuating the bottle. And by bottle, I mean carboy or, or bucket or whatever it is that you're using as a primary fermentation vessel. Um, and just making sure that you're not uh, doing anything to, to, to lessen the quality of it as you're manipulating it from one vessel to another. Um, the other thing is when you're looking at yeast, as you go through these tests and everything, um, do your research on the yeast. I keep saying this, and it's like people go like, I know, I just don't want to read that. I hate reading, blah, 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 blah. Hey, you're in the wrong business if you don't want to, if you don't want to read up on things like this because, you know, reading is very important. It's paramount to, to making mead, making good mead, making consistently good mead. And so you want to look at the yeast. You want to look at, is it a fast, clean, neutral fermenter? Does it produce a lot of sulfides? Is it sensitive to oxygen? Does it work well when it's aerated? Does it um, produce a lot of off aromas and flavors if it's not dosed consistently with nutrients? Is it uh, sensitive to uh, killer factors or kill factors in in other yeast, is it a kill active, a kill passive, or a kill neutral? So, you know, do your research, check it out, make sure that what you're you're using is going to complement the honey that you've got. You're paying a lot of money for it. Find the best yeast you can for it. So find those, you know, symbiotic uh, relationships between honey and yeast. And then, you know, the... Uh, on water, let's take a macro view of water, the water that you're mixing it up with. I use spring water, bottled spring water. I don't like RO water. I don't ever use distilled water. Um, I'm not a big fan of well water because the well water that I'm used to, to getting around here uh, and other places that I've been to tends to have either a sulfury or metallic kind of character to it. And uh, so what I do is I go over to the grocery store uh, before I make a batch of mead, and I do it almost on every batch. I just get the little uh, 500 ml bottles, 500 ml bottles of mead, uh, mead, what am I saying? Yeah. 500 ml bottles of water, uh, of water that I'm going to, you know, plan on using, and I'll go ahead and taste those. You know, I'll, I'll you know, pour some out, taste it in each cup, and see if any of them, you know, taste, you know, have any kind of taste characters that uh, that I don't want in my uh, in my product when I'm making it. So you have to 
you know, be aware of what the water tastes like. You know, do, do I actually want to, you know, mix that water with this really expensive honey and this yeast that I'm going to be using and, and expect that it's going to be good? You know, so find the one that you think has the best flavor uh, without off flavors or off characters or any weird smells and uh, use that. And then uh, keep making it, you know, make a bunch of it. Try, uh, try different things. Try dry, try sweet, try semi-dry, try dessert. Um, make several batches of each and uh, blend them together. You know, blend the different uh, products that you got, whether they're sweet or dessert sweet, uh, dry, semi-dry, or off-dry. Um, and, you know, a lot of times in the wine world, blending is what brings the best wine to the table. It's the same way with mead. Um, there's no reason that you can't make a bunch of different batches of mead with the same honey and the same yeast uh, at varying degrees of sweetness, whether completely dry or, or dessert sweet, and then take uh, one that's trending toward dry or trending toward sweet and blend it up or down with a dry meat or a sweet meat and see where you get. Take the base, you know, take a sample of that, uh, try the base uh, diluted with, you know, five samples of uh, dry meat and then five samples of sweet meat. And basically, in, in less and less concentrated on the sweet side with the dry, and more and more concentrated on the sweet side with the sweet samples. So basically, you're taking your your base mead and making it sweeter or making it drier um, in steps, and tasting each one of those steps and see which one of them you like. Um, and that's you know, take a, a hydrometer or a refractometer reading on that, uh, correct for temperature and uh, and alcohol, on the you know, on the millions and millions of charts that are out there for that. And that's the end level that you're shooting for. Um, find that stopping bricks, you know, if it's, you know, down to like 0.5 bricks or, you know, one brick or 0.75 bricks for dry, or if it's up to, you know, like five or six bricks for sweet, more, depending on what you're shooting at. Um, once you've taken the time and gone ahead and, you know, kind of used some of your own, you know, approaches to putting these things together and getting to that final stage, then you know where you want to be. And then it's time, you know, once you've gotten that and you're producing it consistently, then it's time to move on to another honey and another yeast strain and do it again. Um, and you'll notice this uh, if you ever buy commercial meat. You'll notice uh, when you buy a bottle of traditional or two or three bottles of traditional from the same manufacturer. If you're uh, if you're getting inconsistency in that, that that means that there's that there's inconsistency in the process being made, or the honey being used, or or both. Um, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I've seen commercially produced mead out on the shelves that in one bottle it's got sediment and the bottle is clear and another bottle um, it's you know still it's fizzy and so that, that kind of points to you know some inconsistencies there in the production line so those are the kind of things that you want to at home and as you're going forward if you want to go commercial that you need to take out of your, out of your methodology and your process so it really is incumbent upon you to, to take the time and to spend the effort to, you know, 
come up with a production technique and methodology that gives you the best mead that you can make consistently with the equipment that you have. And then as you move up, uh, you know, start, if you're thinking about going commercial, then you want to start uh, branching out from those basic needs that you have in order to make some things that you'd be more appealing to other, uh, to people other than yourself. You know, you may like traditionals like I do, but there's people out there that like, uh, you know, berry melomels or, you know, fruit mead, spice mead, um, wine sale mead, peanuts, um, uh, braggots and, and other things. So you have to be, you have to be aware of that if you're going to go commercial. So spend the time, find the honey, find the yeast, practice, 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 produce consistently, blend, find things that make it better find things that make it, you know, more palatable, more desirable, um, more overall flavor and body and character. And when you've dialed that in to where you can produce consistency, branch out, take that technique that you've got in that base cuvee, that base mead, and use it to produce other things that are really great as well. You know, move into fruit mead, move into spice mead, move into other kinds of meads that are popular with other people. Try sparkling, try cider. Um, so there's a lot that goes with it. And, you know, when you're talking about taking the, the basic recipe that you've got and refining it, it's, uh, it's a process basically of uh, just what I've been talking about of, you know, taking a look at every step and every, you know, process that you do, and is there a way you can make it more effective, more efficient, more easily uh, reproduced until you can actually reproduce that mead over and over and over with your, you know, your process and your methodology. That's, that's really important. So those are some things that we uh, haven't really drilled down on too much here, but it, it kind of like jumped out at me after reading some of these things. So. Talking to uh, Ask Oscar here tonight. Uh, we're fortunate to have uh, Pete on live with us uh, on Got Mead Live tonight. Um, Pete, uh, I want to go back to the honey here just a minute. Uh, one, one thing that I noticed sure. when I tasted this wildflower, it tasted, it was completely different than any other wildflower honey that I ever tasted before. And they... Uh, the thing that really, uh, and I, when I took my spoonful again today, the thing that really hit me in the face was the smell of this honey. I mean, it literally smells like a flower garden and I have not had, I've never smelled wildflower honey that smelled like that. So even, even if it says wildflower honey, uh, I mean, there's, I mean, you know, no two honeys are the same either. Or I should say right. the same, and the same, the same variety of honey isn't the same either or something to that effect. <laughs> yeah, JD, I've got, yeah, a, I've got a question for Pete, if he wouldn't mind. No, not at all, please. Go ahead. Well, if you've, uh, I don't know if you've been keeping up with it or not, but I've been working on a, uh, on a uh, version of uh, Ken Tram's Heart of Darkness. And uh, I've sort of called it the poor man's Heart of Darkness because I'm using what's available to me. 
Tell, and, tell uh, them the, the first, real name, Chris. Yeah, tell them so the we, real name. We decided on the heart murmur. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, uh, the first problem I had was getting the uh, right ratio of uh, black currant to cherries. I think I've got that worked out. Uh, of course, if you're familiar with that mead, it's it's black currant. Uh, cherries and raspberries and uh, so my next challenge was to find the right honey that would match those flavors uh, my first attempt I used a, black, a blackberry blossom and it was a little bit too earthy um, so my second attempt I used a wildflower and it's a lot better and I was just wondering uh, without without getting a lot of detail uh, just taking those three berries into account, uh, what would you, in your mind's eye, what do you think would go good with that? What type of honey with those flavors? Oh, off the top of my head, yeah, off the top of my head, I'd look at, uh, you know, blueberry tends to be a good match for uh, for berry kind of meads. Um, mm -hmm. And depending on where the blackberry is from, the blackberry that I've had recently was quite good, and it was from up north in Washington and Oregon. Um, with those kind of uh, berries that we're talking about, you know, that raspberry has a lot of uh, seed astringency in it and a lot of perfume in the nose. So um, you're going to want to choose a honey that's not going to conflict with that too much. You know, that, that, mm -hmm. might, uh, that might, you, know, you might want to use it to magnify that character a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. or you might want to just let the berries take the front, uh, uh, while you represent the honey with something a little bit, uh, a little bit less bold. So, um, you can go a couple of different ways. You can go with a strong varietal that's going to support, give it a good backbone, something like I said, like blueberry. Um, I don't know. I haven't really mixed those three berries together that much. I, uh, I tend to go with like straight, um, straight berries when I make fruit meads. So if I'm doing a blackberry, it's going to be blackberry, but it'll, there'll be different kinds of blackberry. Uh, cherries, it's the same way. There'll be sweet cherries, tart cherries, black cherries, um, and a number of different tart cherries, everything from, you know, Balaton and Montmorency. Um, mm -hmm. So I would go with something, personally, the ones that I've done that I've really liked, I've used alfalfa honey or clover honey, and, and even mm -hmm. star thistle honey have all worked really, really well with those. Um, okay. You know, and like I said, you can go the other way. You can try blueberry. You can try uh, another varietal husband, hun um, uh, berry honey, like possibly cranberry. Um, that mm -hmm. might work out well on that as well. Okay. Um, which, uh, what kind of, uh, what season was the wildflower that you got just out of curiosity? Was it spring or fall flow? Uh, I'm going to guess it was fall because it was really dark. Uh, I, I was not in a position to be able to, to pick and choose. I, I ordered it online and, uh, so I did not get to, you know, I didn't get to, to know exactly the details of it. It was a very good wildflower honey. I'm guessing it was probably late seasons, and um, it was it was very dark, but it had a lot of floral notes to it, and that was 
you know, it sort of replaced the earthiness. Uh, in my first try, the, the blackberry honey that I used uh, really added a lot of earthiness that I just didn't like because it took away some of the some of the smoothness of the mead. The floral notes replaced that. And, um, you know, to my palate, it was a lot more pleasing. It was a lot smoother. Uh, there was no harshness to it. And uh, it's really good, and I'm satisfied with it, but I'm just, you know, I'm always exploring other options that I can, that might go good with it or might even be better. Sure, sure. You know, what What might work, um, and it just occurred to me now, but uh, I was talking to Amina Harris, who's the director of the uh, Hunting and Pollination Center up in uh, up at UC Davis, the Robert Mondavi Institute, uh, um, it might be a good idea to order some uh, honey sticks of a bunch of different kinds of honeys and taste those and see mm-hmm. which one kind of follows the flavor profile that you're trying to get. You know, because honey sticks are fairly inexpensive and, you know, a yeah. lot of folks are willing to sell those to you individually or in three or four at a time so you can get an idea of what the honey actually tastes mm-hmm. like. But, uh, you know, that might be a good idea. You know, whoever uh, is around you there, you know, with someone like uh, Lori Titus over the bee folks or, you know, so, some other folks that, you know, are, are, you know, personally involved with the business, uh, they might be able mm-hmm. to steer you onto that path as well. Um, it's really, it, it, it's difficult for me to say, you know, which honey would work best with that. I, and like I said, I, mm-hmm. I tend to go with the honeys that have more of a, uh, um, I won't say caramel, but have more of a, uh, a candy kind of a character underneath there. So clover and alfalfa work pretty good for that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe snowberry or Christmas berry would work good with that. Now, see, down there in Mississippi, you probably got tulip poplar and saw palmetto and probably tupelo as well, right? Yeah, well, it, it's a little bit south of me, but I can get it. Uh, I think I've mentioned several times on here my favorite to use is sourwood uh it's the most available for me outside of just the commercial uh available clover uh and i use sourwood on a lot of things and and really yeah, sourwood is good honey have mm-hmm. you uh have you thought about trying it with this or do you think that that even matches up uh, well, there was something about it that, you know, this was a while back when I tasted it, and I remember tasting it together and saying, nah, that's not it. I can't remember exactly yeah, okay. why. I'd have to look at my notes to see what I wrote about it, but there was something I said, nah, I don't think that's the one. So, <laughs> yeah, I've run into that before, too. It's like, you know, in your mind, it's like, yeah, this is going to be great, and then once it hits your mouth, you're like, yeah, that wasn't such a great idea after all. Yeah, that was, that was the deal with that. So, uh, um, I, I don't know. For some reason, I kept thinking that some really good floral notes would really go good with it, and that's why I went with the wildflower, and it really did. It, it did go good with it, but I'm always looking for other options, so... Um, if, if you want that, you know, kind of like floral character, then maybe, maybe you want to take a look at something like raspberry honey, or, uh, if you can find it, uh, fireweed or, uh, something that's got a lot of real perfumey kind of character, like California orange blossom, that's got a real jasmine character to it. Mm-hmm. 
I had uh, I've not tasted uh, yeah I, I haven't sampled orange blossom alongside my must yet because uh, generally well this thing doesn't need any more uh, acidity or bite to it at all you know it's uh, with the tart cherries and the black currants and the raspberries it's it's got enough uh, it's got enough uh, acidity as it is so. And, you know, the orange blossom, to me, tends to add a zing, an extra zing to it, which it really doesn't need. <clears throat> gotcha. Okay. Now, do you get Florida uh, orange blossom there, or do you get California orange blossom? Because the two are very different. I, yeah, I get Florida. You might you might try California orange blossom and see what you think. Okay. It's it's a different. It doesn't have that kind of dark, you know, brooding. You know, as I like to say, roan style of uh, character to it. it it's uh, California orange blossom is lighter, lighter amber, and has a more perfumey character. It definitely has a more floral note than the than the uh, Florida orange blossom honey. Okay. Yeah, I knew they were very different, and I've used Florida. I've, I've used uh, California before. It's been a long time ago, and I couldn't. I couldn't remember now exactly what the difference was. But I know the the, the Florida. It definitely has a zing to it. It, it when it ferments out, it has a it has a distinct yeah. acidity. Sweet Valencia orange. Yeah, definitely. That's what. That's what. Sweet that's what yeah, sweet Valencia oranges is what California orange blossom honey reminds me of. Just mm. a nice ah, sweet. Valencia orange. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah they're definitely not, then, uh, not bitter. And I've got some great star thistle honey here too. I'm, I may, well, you do. I may look into ah. that. Yeah, take a take a taste of that because that might be that might be your answer right there. The star thistle we get out here tends to be very floral and has a nice mm-hmm. uh, butterscotch character to it. Yeah, so this is a very, very light honey. Very, almost water white. That's, so that's, it's, uh, that's provided it hasn't been sprayed with Roundup, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? Yeah. We're talking light, to uh, Nice citrus notes with a hint of Roundup. actually i i know someone who refused to to judge a mead because it was uh it was for an sca event and he refused to judge a dandelion mead someone would work very very hard on because he could smell the pesticides coming off of it (laughs) the local weed oh we're talking to uh, ask oscar pete pockledge here with us tonight on got mead live uh, and he's talking to Mississippi Chris down there about his uh, heart murmur, uh, kind of a takeoff on Ken Schramm's, uh, what did you call it, Heart of Darkness or something? Yeah, yeah. Heart of Darkness. Yeah. I cannot believe, yeah, yeah, we have to educate this boy. He He's like, you know, that mead that Ken has, and I can't remember the name of that's like the most <laughs> famous mead in the country. Heart of Darkness. Remember it, learn it, love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got to call. I got to call Ken. I got to get Ken's number, and I've got to call him and bribe him. Uh, I'll put some kind of some kind of big yearly deposit down or something to get a bottle of it. Oh no, totally! If you call him up and say I want to pre-buy a bottle of Heart of Darkness, or if you have 
um, vintage because he has vintage bottles he holds back. If you have a vintage bottle available, just tell me what you've got and what it's going to take, and I'll send you a check. And then you know it's all good. I cut him a check, and he brought me one to to the Mazer Cup because I you know he doesn't ship to me either. You know. Yeah. So it all, yeah. it all works out. But yeah, um, JD, if you're going to show up at the Mazer Cup and I introduce you to Ken and you go, yeah, here, you're that guy who makes that meat. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, I'm gonna She's going to smack him. you. Oh, no, I'll have to kill him right then and there. I mean, it's just, yeah, we'll go way beyond smacking. You'll be banned Based, forever, man. Ken's using the free run juice on all this stuff, and that's why his production is so low. And I'm going the poor man's route. I'm going the R.W. Nuts and Juice and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing this uh, not to be a world-class need. I'm doing this to be something that people can do at home and and uh, have a, a good drink. So, uh, well, you're yeah. doing you're doing you the imitation what? as the sincerest form of flattery is what you're doing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Hey, uh, Chris. One of the things you might try is, uh, you know, I know you're using the RW Newton juice, as you said. Um, get your juice, um, you know, all taken care of, but go ahead and get yourself a couple packages of, uh, frozen fruit of each one of those too. And say, so, you know, don't try to buy, you know, like 50 pounds of it, but get, you know, like, you know, a couple pounds each of the, uh, the, uh, raspberry and, the and, the the cherry. I don't know if you've got availability of, uh, black currants around there, but, uh, yeah, I, I have, have to order them, but I can get them. Yeah. That'll get you some of that nice skin astringency in there that that is so t- that typifies the uh, the stuff that Ken makes. You know, it has that nice tanginess that uh, you know carries through from front to back, along with uh, a good fruit presence. And uh, while you get the good uh, the juice character and the flavor, um, a little bit of that skin will certainly help to bring that proper tartness to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll, I'll definitely do that. I've, I've been using the, the whole uh, raspberries because you can't get raspberry juice that I know of around here. Uh, right. When you find it, it's always in a cocktail form mixed with other things. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. What's wrong with that? <laughs> well, it's not great for putting it in a mead. <laughs> Blending. Yeah, especially when it, the sweetness is coming from... Especially when the sweetness is coming from pears and grapes and apples and other fruits. Or fructose, sucrose, HFC. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's the other difficult thing, too. I mean, you know, if you're lucky to be around a Trader Joe's, I have found that that's absolutely the best resource to buy pure, unadulterated juice. Um, But, I mean, you know, walking down the supermarket aisle, and I constantly see this in recipes from one end of mead making to the other, uh, you know, when people buy juice at the supermarket, it's, and of course, I don't know what it is about cranberries, but every other freaking juice on the shelf has got, you know, cranberry this, cranberry that, and then you look at the... Because it's healthy. Well, but then you look at the label, and it's got apple juice, prune juice, I mean, all these other yeah. juices in it, and I'm thinking, how, how could you possibly even think about making a mead with something like that? But I see these recipes all over the place, uh, and I think, oh, my God, you know. Here in the South, we, uh, you know, the Trader Joe's are very sparsely. They're they're few and far between, but we have something equivalent called Whole Foods. And uh, so uh, that's where I get a lot of stuff, too. I get my fruits from there, and so I'm sure I can find 
what I need there. And I order, I've been ordering black currants from Current C. So. I, um, I, 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 I'm, I gotta be careful going to my Trader Joe's up here because I've cleaned them out on their mesquite honey here a couple of days ago. And I went down there today and got four jars of, of uh, some tart cherry juice. I gotta kind of be careful about how much I'm buying from Trader Joe's. Yeah, they're gonna, next gonna time you lynched. go in there, they're gonna have like a TTB <laughs> agent at the door going, that's the guy, it's that old guy right there. <laughs> they're gonna flag your credit cards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we got a watch list for Trader Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> is there yeah, is there a Trader Joe's watch list where you get a no fly where you can't go in anymore? We're sorry, sir. But no buy zone. Well, you ha- yeah. you'll have to listen. You'll have to listen to the beginning of the show. Uh, you know, I talk about the Trader Joe experience and buying honey, and you know, the guy kind of raised his eyebrows when I told him I wanted more after seeing my basket that had the already eight or nine containers that were on the shelf. But um, uh, we got another call coming in uh, here, uh, 0088. I know who this is, but welcome anyway. I can't think of your name. <laughs> I've seen this number before. Is it Go David? ahead. Who is oh, it? Well, stop guessing and bring him Zero, in. Z- he's in. <laughs> oh. 0088, uh, you're here. What's yeah. your name? It's Brian. Brian. Oh, yeah, that hey. guy from Nebraska. He's such a pain in the butt. <laughs> that, 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 that troublemaker, yeah. That troublemaker, okay. yeah. yeah the, one that, the one that texts me at the beginning of the show and says, I don't like the way this looks on my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you have to be mobile compliant. Do you know no, that? It is mobile compliant. It just isn't mobile <laughs> compliant enough, apparently. So you know. Yeah. Hey, I, I look at mobile mobile devices. They're the new store shelf. They really are. Yeah. yeah. And you're right. I mean, I've I've got to find a theme that hangs together better. That one's just kind of awkward looking on there, and I'm not I'm not crazy about it, but it's what I got. You know. So. Well, <laughs> welcome to the show, Brian. Uh, we've got about uh, five minutes to wrap things up, but uh, if you got a question, go ahead. No, I actually, I just had a statement. I mean, uh, he's calling it a rabble rouse. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, I, you know, I'm listening to the show, and it's like uh, you, you, you're talking about pesticides and honey and validation, and uh, yeah. so I'm working in conjunction with a, a place down in Missouri right now. We had a, a, a lab up in Maine that we were dealing with as far as testing our honey, and uh, if you're if you're looking for something like that. At, at a you know basically a reasonable price to test out honey uh, before you uh, go ahead and make your mead and or you uh, make mead or would like bottle testing on the isotope level like they're going to detect like heavy metals uh, whether or not the uh, mead has a uh, insecticides stuff like that um, I'm working with a place down in Missouri right now. Uh, they're just changing their name to uh, Sweetwater Science Labs, and uh, they actually do isotope level testing. Uh, I caught on to them much, uh, I should say, uh, not too long ago because uh, I, w- I was in Argentina, and they were doing isotope level testing on wines to find, you know, uh, different kind of, um, like, uh, 
high fructose corn syrup, uh, sugars and stuff in the honey. And so this is just another way of validating. Is that really something sure. home meat makers are going to be spending their money on? You know, at $35 a test, uh, it's actually, not bad. Yeah, maybe that's not. Actually, I mean, if they're interested, that's not bad at all. Yeah. Probably pay more to ship it there. I, you know, here's the thing. Um, uh, you know, and, I, you know, what maybe Pete can even add to this. I mean, he and I both live in Southern California. And when I picked up this wildflower honey over the weekend, I, I had a, I had a big concern. Okay. Because I mean, this is like pesticide city. Okay. I mean, <laughs> Well, every, weren't you just guys just talking about the yellow sludge that you have to scrape off of everything? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're not going to be drinking the rainwater here for sure. I mean, you just don't do that. That's much we do have one. Uh, we do have one Gottmead member who runs hers through a Berkeley filter. Uh, well, filtration oh, is one thing, but uh, I was I was somewhat concerned about this wildflower honey that I was going down to El Monte to buy. Because uh, I wasn't sure, you know, where these bees uh, were getting their honey from and what pesticide-laden fields or, or homes or, or whatever. Because this, this guy lives in a residential area. And, yep. you know, so I'm thinking, you know, I'm not sure what I'm getting into here. But when I tasted his honey, it was amazing. I mean, I have never tasted wildflower honey. I mean, I don't know what they're selling in the store, but if I were to put it up against this, it ain't wildflower. <laughs> this smells like somebody's spring garden. I mean, that's what it smells like. And it's just, it's amazing. So, psychedelic effect? Yeah. No, well, no, yeah, well, I mean, it was just, like I say, I mean, it, it smelled like somebody's backyard garden in full bloom. And I was quite, quite amazed. So, I don't know. I mean, you know, testing, I mean, and, and the world we live in these days, I mean, who do you trust? I mean, you can't even trust, you know, what they put on the store shelves half the time. Article on gotmead.com, uh, uh, or maybe it was, might have been in the Facebook, Vicky, about, um, of course, and I think that article might have been debunked by another subsequent article, but. You know, well, how much put, of the honey is it really honey? Uh, yeah, how much of yeah. the honey is really honey? You know, high high fructose corn syrup. That's that's Thank the you. problem. There, you got you have a lot of beekeepers getting greedy out there, and you can buy high fructose corn syrup for twenty cents uh, a gallon and uh, thin out your mix, and that's the problem out there. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, Pete. Uh, you know, as long as we got you on the air, I mean, what what what's your take on that whole scenario? I mean, are we getting what we're paying well, for, or you know, how how do you and this and 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 Brian's talking about testing, you know? Well, I think number one, the the first thing that needs to happen is uh, in order to establish standards for you know pollen counts and honey to give you the type of honey that it actually is. Um, as you know, we don't have in the U.S. Um, really stringent standards for being able to label a honey, um, what particular brand honey it is, or I should say floral source, whether it's a monofloral source or a uh, polyfloral source. Uh, countries like Argentina, they, they have to submit a pollen count with everything they send in order that it's uh, verified that they can call it whatever they're calling it. I think uh, as a first step here to you know, for across the, 
across the USA, across the nation, uh, is we need to get the FDA involved and the, uh, the honey board uh, lobbying to have this happen so that we have a better handle on, you know, what's going on with the kind of honey that we're seeing and having some assurance that what we're buying is actually what we're buying. Um, short of that, uh, I'll just go all the way back to what I was talking about in the first place, establishing a relationship with a beekeeper and getting honey, uh, the best honey you can get from this beekeeper, and that way you know what you're getting. Um, and I don't know of many beekeepers out here that are using um, high fructose corn syrup. I'm sure there are people around that do, but the ones that I'm talking to and ones that I meet at the, you know, the beekeeper society meetings and the American beekeepers association and such, uh, I, I'd have a really tough time believing that any of them are using that. However, that doesn't mean again, absent any proof that uh, it's not out there, but, um, I'm not going to be worrying about high fructose corn syrup in my mead. Um, the quality of the mead that I'm making uh, is good enough for me. Um, it's been good enough to, to win a few medals here and there when I've entered. Um, and the people that I share it with are, are all like, wow, this is great. So um, if yeah. there is high fructose corn syrup in it, and I don't know about it, it's not hurting my end product. Um, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. I'm more likely to spend my money testing on microbial, um, you know, presence in the stuff that I'm making in my mm -hmm. must and in my end product to see if I've got anything like that. Um, I, I'm more likely to spend my money on testing for nitrogen and free amino nitrogen. Uh, if I'm going to beat the drum and, and hop on the soapbox about anything, those would be the two first things that I'd test for. Um, what about, the, what uh, about, uh, what, what about insecticide and pesticides? Would you be willing to test for those? I, I don't really worry about that because I know who I'm getting my stuff from and I know where he gets it from. It's not a concern to me. Yeah. So hey, what do you think about the true source, uh, the true source certified? Well, that's a little bit different. Um, that's, that's a conversation to have with Amina Harris. I've been after Vicki to get her on the, uh, on the show for a while now, and, and Amina can speak to that. Um, yeah, well, assuming uh, I can get her on the look, show, that's she's on just, the list. You know, from the from the times that I've been up there, and from the things that she has shared with uh, the classes, you know, while we were in, in um, while we were in the uh, in the basic and the intro classes, um, the the true source that you're talking about, um, it, it's not what it seems to be based on what I've heard. So, so you don't think that's a reasonable assurance that you're not getting corn syrup? Not from what I've heard. Um, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any way other than the only way that I know of to make sure that you're not getting corn syrup from it is to go with an armed guard with your beekeeper to the hives and watch him do all the processing. <laughs> And I'm not going to pay somebody to tell me if they're slipping in corn syrup in between times. The quality of the honey, the flavor of the honey, the taste of the honey that I'm buying is fantastic. I, I don't need to test that. Maybe somebody else does. 
maybe somebody's gotten burned by that. And I completely understand they're wanting to know that. And I am not saying to people don't test for it. What I'm saying is to me, it is not a concern and I've got better things to spend my money on. I think there's a, uh, I think there's a great concern out there because I mean, you know, the times that we live in, uh, the cancers and the illnesses and the things that affect our health and lifestyles, uh, becoming more and more prevalent all the time. And, you know, sometimes you just don't know what you're getting, but, and I'm sure this conversation could probably go on for several more hours, but we are at zero hour, ladies and gentlemen. Um, (laughs) and now we're all magically going to turn into pumpkins. Yeah. Oh no, sorry. But, uh, full of corn syrup. Full of corn syrup. Yeah. Right. This is best. And Uh, and and turkeys. Well, and turkeys, yeah. 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 I was just going to say that if you're a commercial operation, I can see where the home, the home meat maker, it's not a big concern, but if you're a commercial or excuse me, a commercial meat operation, yeah, commercial, I would drink tonight, Brian. <laughs> oh, we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> so, so what I would say is that uh, you owe it to the people that um, are purchasing your mead to make sure you have the highest the highest quality, and to make sure that um, you know you are testing and ensuring that even though you think you got the proper stuff coming in, especially if it's from a different country, uh, you you need to do the test. So, and tonight, unfortunately, uh, yeah, is not. Uh, tonight is unfortunately not need it's Melbeck. Melbeck, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Melbeck, right. okay. Well, you, that, uh, ex- that explains it. <laughs> very good. Uh, shout out to Guy McConnell for uh, coming on the show here tonight. Really looking forward to having him back and uh, checking on uh, Leprechaun, Laughing Leprechaun and uh Gosh, I wish we could have talked to the vice president. That would have been fun. But, hey, maybe <laughs> next time for sure. Um, I want to throw a shout-out to uh, Eric Wright. Uh, caught him on the Got Mead Facebook group page out there. Eric uh, posted a picture of what looks like some pretty darn uh, good-looking mead out there. Says he just bottled the pear mead. Looks great. Smells really good. Uh, although, uh, early, uh, he likes having a little leftover for tasting. It's closer to a dry wine, uh, than it is sweet yet. Not bad. Uh, it will get really good with age. Uh, let's hope so. Uh, sure. would like to enjoy a glass of that with you, Eric. So, uh, big shout out to uh, Eric, Wright. Uh, upcoming events. Hey, don't miss the Mazer cup, Vicky and, uh, Pete and uh, oh, everybody yeah. here. March 18th through 19th, Broomfield, Colorado. And if you've ever been to Broomfield. <laughs> uh, the best thing going on in Broomfield is the Mazer Cup. Got, it's got, yeah, well, the, <laughs> the last time I was in Broomfield, yeah. That, <laughs> if, anything, if nothing has changed, it probably is. Uh, and, we've got a, and we've got a wicked good hotel there, too. We were extremely fortunate last year yeah to uh, find i mean pete and them did a great job of finding and then talking this place into working with us and it turned out to be the find of the century that they're just amazing thank you to uh, pete for uh, coming on live with us here tonight and uh, talking about uh you know making it your mead now i mean now's the time uh 
you know, refining your style, uh, branching out a little bit and, uh, you know, doing those experiments, uh, you know, taking a nice honey. I mean, I've got this 60 pounds of wildflower and I, I really don't know what to do with it, but I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I want to work on these traditionals. So, hey, put on the lab I, coat. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of, you know, three or four one gallon uh, batches, uh, you know, find some yeast, uh, do my homework, do the reading. I, it, I'm bored as hell reading that stuff too, but do it anyway because you'll learn a lot. Okay, uh, and you and take notes, take good notes of everything oh, yeah. you do and everything you read. Yes, and uh, you know you you learn a lot uh, about what you're doing when you read the the data sheets on these different yeasts. I hate just throwing stuff into a jar and expecting miracles out of it. That just ain't going to happen. But um, and then a reminder, uh, this is our last show for the holidays. We certainly want to wish everybody a very safe uh, and uh, joyous holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, happy Hanukkah. Uh, happy Kwanzaa. Hanukkah. You know what? Happy holidays. Thank you. Cover all happy of Happy everything. Yeah. yeah. Happy everything. And do Very it safely. Cool. Don't drink and drive. Yes. Yep. I hear about anybody drinking and driving. I'm coming over there and kicking your butt. You'll have to get a passport first. And don't do it just do to it, get know. a passport. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if you're going to drink. I'll pack a few of them up, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah and, uh, talking to Chris. Uh, Brian for calling in. Uh, Mississippi Chris on the horn with us here tonight. Of course, that that's an expectation. Miss mm-hmm. Dave uh, calling in here tonight, but... Uh, uh, he, he might even be busy or he'll catch the show on the, uh, on the rewind. And again, uh, you can catch the, all these shows on gotme.com. Just simply go to the radio station website, uh, uh, link there. All the shows, all the episodes are listed there. Take a listen, download the apps, uh, take us with you if you'd like. Uh, TuneIn.com, Stitcher Radio. I mean, they're just, there's a bunch of them out there. So we're just trying to cover all of the bases indeed and if y'all are you know any of y'all that might be whining that we aren't going to have any shows between now and the beginning of the new year um suck it up and this is your chance to (laughs) this is your chance to go back and listen to those i've seen a lot of people go oh i'm behind here's your chance to catch up i listened to all those episodes and i know there's people like you know uh, like aj takes notes during the ask oscar stuff so you know if you've been taking notes when pete's going you know rambling on about you know making a great melomel or something like that this is your chance to go back and really catch up on that stuff and really kind of dig into it also this is your chance to send email to us and let us know who you'd like to talk to um, we're always like looking to talk about what you'd like us to talk about yeah we're always looking for new stuff and um you know we want to we want to put out there stuff you guys want to hear so um you know if you've got people you think that we just absolutely must interview you know i don't care if they're on the other side of the world we can make it work and um you know we'll figure it out absolutely always a party here on got mead live uh and again uh, thanks for joining us here tonight we'll be back on january 5th that is a tuesday night it's always a tuesday night it's always a tuesday on got mead <laughs> so and again uh thanks pete for uh coming on live with us tonight for sure indeed for sure pete all right say good night good night vicky say good night aj good night aj Hey, Pete, say goodnight. Pete's already... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, Pete, go look at God Meat. I posted an article from Croatia the other day. <laughs> All right. Wow, okay. 
We're out of here. See you on January.